Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Saturdays are for sunshine, especially for your ears. With another election, ongoing wars, and natural disasters, we know the news can be a lot to take in. And we're determined to share the bright side of humanity. Every Saturday, take a breather from the headlines and hear all the uplifting happenings across the world with Five Good Things, a new weekend edition of CNN Five Things. That means you can find this goodness in the same feed as Five Things. Listen to Five Good Things on the iHeartRadio app. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Faces Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. to the Zuni Tequila Studios for the Tuesday edition of MLB Overtime Betting. We've got a terrific show for you as Christian Pina, our friend from the Sports Gambling Podcast Network, he hosts the Inside Vegas Podcast. He's going to be joining me in the second segment. And I will say my audio on that interview is not necessarily the best, so I apologize a little bit in advance, but still a very quality chat. We just talk about prospecting in general, where you can find some value. So that is going to be great. And we also look at some of the games for Tuesday's slate. And in the final segment, I do give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board and a little something I like to call touch them all. First things first, I've went through this question a couple times. We got one into the Twitter mailbag. I'm not going to play the sound or anything like that, but I did have the real dollar bill one ask a quick question. What constitutes a unit? Whether it was an exact amount of money or anything like that. And just a little bit of a quick tutorial since I know I've went through this a few times, but I know that a lot of people out there are new and obviously things can get confusing when you hear unit for the first time and everything like that. A unit is the percentage of your bankroll that you constantly play on every game. Like some plays, you might have two units on it if you feel very confident. I'm a straight better. I put one unit on every one of them. And if you're looking at how much your unit is, it is the amount of your bankroll. So let's just make it very easy. Your bankroll is $100. Let's say you play every game or you have every bet at 1% of your bankroll. So if you have a $100 bankroll, 
you play a standard unit on a game, that'd be a $1 bet. If it was $1,000, it'd be 10. If it was $10,000, it'd be 100, so on and so forth. So hopefully that's just a nice, easy, quick answer. Didn't feel like we needed to really reinvent the wheel there, but it's just one of those things I know it comes up quite a bit. So hopefully that helped you guys out. And if you ever have a question for the podcast, always feel free to tweet it in at GNRSQuarty1. No question is too stupid. No question is necessarily lame or anything like that. There are some where if it refers to like a specific game and whether or not I'm going to be betting the White Sox first five or anything like that, probably won't be addressing it on the podcast because that game has already happened. But with that said, any philosophical questions, always happy to answer those. But now let's take a look back at Monday's results, try to find some trends and try to become better handicappers from it. What trends should you pay attention to? Well, Greg is going to tell you what he has on the black. The team with the best record over their last 10 games in Major League Baseball, the New York Mets, and they played two games against the Miami Marlins on Monday, and they won them both. They took the first one by a count of 6-2. The fact that you had Robert Duger pitching against Jacob deGrom was just an absolute mismatch, and the fact that Robert Duger and Sandy Alcantara were essentially priced the same to me was criminal. I'm going to be talking about this with Christian Pina in the second segment, but Duger, a man that had an ERA north of 9 at the AAA level, well, he lived up to it. Five innings pitch. He gives up six runs, all of which were earned, including two home runs. From there, the Miami Marlins bullpen was able to put out the fire. They were able to go three innings. They gave up a combined one hit, no earned runs. And then for the Miami Marlins, if you're looking for something good, Isan Diaz wound up getting a home run off of Jacob deGrom. That is his first of the year as deGrom continues to be one of the best daytime pitchers we've ever seen in the history of baseball. He goes seven innings in this one, giving up two runs, both of which were earned. His career ERA in day games is south of two, so he has been terrific there. And then the two home runs that you got out of the New York Mets, Amit Rosario, his 12th of the year, and Jeff McNeil, his 14th. Then in game two, things were actually looking like they were going the way of the Miami Marlins, and then the New York Mets get back-to-back-to-back home runs in the seventh inning to be able to put this game out of reach. Supplying those three home runs, Pete Alonso is 35th, J.D. Davis is 12th, Michael Conforto is 23rd, as Sandy Alcantara had a decent start in this one, but he just didn't give the length that the team wanted. He won five innings, giving up two runs, he jacked up his pitch round due to walks, and then Jeff Brigham wound up giving up all three of those home runs in relief. Needless to say, that was not good for a Miami Marlins bullpen that has actually looked a little bit better. And if you're looking for an encouraging side for the Marlins, it was Brian Holiday who was able to get a home run, his third of the year. It came off of Walker Lockadoo. Did not give the start that the New York Mets necessarily wanted. He goes four and two-thirds innings, giving up four runs, all of which were earned. But the Mets bullpen, which has been one of the top eight out there in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break in regards to ERA, they go a combined three and a third innings, giving up one hit, no earned runs. They were able to keep this thing at bay. And if you had the over of nine, one of ten with men in scoring position, that's were in this game. So that was a little bit brutal there. If you had the over in the Yankees versus Orioles game, well, this went a little bit better for you as the Yankees take down the Orioles by a count of nine to six. By the way, the Yankees have now hit 30 home runs at Camden Yards, the most for a visitor at a single ballpark in a year. And oh, by the way, they still have two games left to play at Camden Yards. As for the New York Yankees, going yard in this one, Brett Gardner at a guardy party, his 16th of the year. Austin Romine, his fifth. Mark Dockman goes deep twice, his eighth and ninth of the year. And then you have Michael Ford going deep for his second home run of the year. As the New York Yankees did not get a great start out of Masahiro Tanaka. This is not really a guy that you want to be laying big prices with as he got Tanaka to round again. Five and a third innings, giving up five runs, all of which were earned. And then from there, you did have Tommy Canely giving up a home run out of the bullpen, but all in all, the Yankees' bullpen goes three and two-thirds innings. They give up just that one solo home run. As for the Baltimore Orioles, it was Jonathan Villar going deep in this one. His 15th of the year, and he was able to get a cycle in this one. 
double, triple, home run, and a single. So Jonathan VR in a losing effort gets a cycle. And then you also had Jace Peterson getting his first home run of the year. And Gabriel Yanoa, not awful in this one. Four and two-thirds innings, he gives up three runs. But the Baltimore Orioles bullpen, they were awful. Four and a third innings, they gave up five runs, all of which were earned, including four of those home runs. And now the Yankees, by the way, have played over 70% of their road games to the over. That is certainly a trend. The Pittsburgh Pirates have played right around 69% of their home games to the over. As the Milwaukee Brewers are able to put up a nine spot, and they take down the Pittsburgh Pirates by a count of nine to seven. A late field goal in the eighth inning was the difference for the Milwaukee Brewers, and I'm not even joking when I say that, as they got a three spot in that one. And a big difference in this one was Christian Yelich. He goes deep twice, his 38th and 39th of the year. And then Mike Moustakis goes yard for his 27th as Dario Agrazil wound up giving up two of those home runs, and it was not his best start. Five innings, which he gives up five runs, all of which were earned. And then Francisco Lariano had a tough time of it as well. He did not record a single out. He gave up three runs, only one of which were earned. And then you had Jeff Hartley give up a run in two innings as well out of the bullpen. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, they were able to get a little bit of offense in this one. Brian Reynolds was able to get a home run. That was his 10th of the year. And supplying his first home run of the year was Pablo Reyes, as the Milwaukee Brewers have had a bottom five bullpen in regards to ERA since the All-Star break, and it wasn't necessarily great in this one. Jordan Lyles, who has struggled throughout his career in the second halves of the season, ERA north of six after the All-Star break for his career. Actually, a good start in this one. He did give up two of those home runs, but he goes five innings, gives up three runs, but only one of which was earned. He gave... He was hurt by a Kesson Hira error, but then the bullpen of the Milwaukee Brewers goes a total of four innings. They give up four runs in the process, and Josh Hader wound up having to throw 28 pitches in this one, so needless to say, probably not going to be available for at the very least tomorrow, but you did have Drew Pomerantz giving a good inning. He wound up striking out the side in the sixth, so that's a little bit of a good sign, and the overs just continue to cash left and right out in the city of Pittsburgh. The losses just keep coming for the city of Detroit as the Chicago White Sox, a team that entered into this game having plated three runs or fewer in 19 out of their last 27 games and four runs or fewer in 20 out of their last 27. Well, they get a win by a count of 7-4 to four. And for the Detroit Tigers. They are now 13-37 and 37 at home. And Spencer Turnbull, a guy that has been injured for about the last month or so, just did not give any length in this start. Three innings pitch, he gives up two runs, both of which were earned. That pressed the bullpen into action, and Gregory Soto, failed starter, actually wasn't terrible in this one. He goes four innings, he does give up two runs, and he takes a loss. But Buck Farmer giving up three runs while recording two outs, that was really the bugaboo. Good news for the Detroit Tigers, Jacoby Jones gets a home run his 11th of the year, but for Lucas Giolito, one of the more profitable pitchers out there in the big leagues, he was able to find his way thanks to well, the Detroit Tigers being the Detroit Tigers, he did give up that home run, but in six innings, he gives up three runs, all of which were earned, and then a Chicago White Sox bullpen, which has been one of the top seven in regards to ERA in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break. They go three innings, they give up one run, and the Chicago White Sox were able to get all those runs without a single home run. They just went 5 of 15 with men in scoring position, and they got 14 hits and five walks. So needless to say, the Tigers got pummeled in that one. The Kansas City Royals are now... 2-8 and eight in their last 10 games, so needless to say, they've been getting pummeled, and they wind up losing to the Boston Red Sox by a count of 7-5, to five. and if you're a Red Sox fan, God love what you saw to Rick Porcello. Man with a 5-5-4 ERA winds up going 6 innings in this one. He gives up one run. That one run was a sole home run, but the bullpen's still looking a bit shaky. Nathan Eovaldi wound up going an inning. He gave up a sole home run. You also have Matt Barnes giving up a home run as well. In his inning, he gave up three runs, only two of which were earned. As for the Kansas City Royals, being able to supply the power in this one, Chester Cuthbert, his seventh of the year, Bubba Starlin, his second, and then you had Myreels Vioria, hopefully I'm saying that one correctly, his first, but Mike Montgomery in this one, he actually had a little bit of a better start. He won five innings, but 
He did wind up giving four runs, now only two of which were earned as he gave up a pair of home runs going deep for the Boston Red Sox. Scott Travis, his third of the year, and Rafael Devers is 23rd, but then the Kansas City Royals bullpen couldn't hold it down from. Combined three innings from this bunch, they give up three runs, all of which were earned, needless to say. That is brutal for a Kansas City Royals team that is just right now lost out there in the wilderness. Speaking of teams lost out there in the wilderness, the LA Angels have now lost eight out of their last ten games as they fall to the Cincinnati Reds by a count of 7-4. For the Cincinnati Reds, they just jumped all over Taylor Cole. He served as the opener in this one, and the open didn't go as planned. He went one inning, giving up five runs, all of which were earned. I will say from there, Patrick Sandoval, a guy that has been pretty awful at the AAA level, he wound up actually doing quite well. Five innings pitch, he gave up two runs, no home runs, he kept the ball in the yard, so you gotta give him some credit there, and for the Cincinnati Reds, just a whole lot of small ball in this one, they only left four men on base, four of 12 with Ben in scoring position, and Luis Castillo just continues to be dynamic at home. He did give up two solo home runs, but those were the only two runs that he gave up, as in seven innings, gives up two runs, 13 strikeouts. The Cincinnati Reds bullpen, though, has been the worst in her regards to ERA over the last 30 days. They gave up two runs in two innings of work, including a home run of their own. As for the Angels, their trio of home runs came off the bat of Mike Trout is 37th of the year, Brian Goodwin is 10th, and Luis Rangifo is 4th, but just wasn't quite enough in this one as the Cincinnati Reds have been playing over 60% of their games to the under, but the bullpen might be changing that a little bit. Something that might be changing a little bit is the narrative on the Texas Rangers as they entered into their game against the Cleveland Indians 22-32 and 32 on the road, but they get a gem from Mike Miner as they take down the Cleveland Indians by kind of 1-0. to zero. Mike Miner did wind up giving up 7 hits in his 7 innings, but he was able to do a great job of evading danger, and then from there, the Texas Rangers got 2 innings from Jose LeClerc and Jesse Chavez to be able to pull that one out as the Cleveland Indians just 8 hits in this one, but they weren't able to drive them around, and for the Texas Rangers, they weren't necessarily doing a lot on the offensive end as well as the Cleveland Indians who continue to have the best bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. They go three scoreless and Aaron Cavale, he did his part. Tough luck loser here. He goes six innings. He gives up three hits, one earned run, and he winds up taking the loss. That's one where all he can do is chuck up his hands and say, what more can I do? It was a very good start from both teams. Just not a lot of offense in this one. Not a lot of offense in Tampa Bay as well as the Rays had played each of their last six games to the over. But in this one, they were shut out by Jacob Aguiz packing company as the Toronto Blue Jays get a 2-0 win. For the Blue Jays, Bo Bichette winds up getting his third home run of the year. That was really the big shot for the team that came off of Charlie Morton. And Charlie Morton, good start in this one. Seven innings pitch. He gave up that home run. Two runs, both of which were earned. And then you had Austin Pruitt wind up coming into the game. He delivered two innings. He didn't give up any runs. But for the Tampa Bay Rays, this was a team that had Mark Brousseau get picked off. 0 of 8 with men in scoring position. They weren't able to do much there. And Jacob Aguiz back might be proving a little bit of something. Six innings pitch. Does not give up any runs. And the Toronto Blue Jays bullpen, which has been pretty solid despite the fact that they sold off a couple pieces at the deadline. Go combine three innings. They don't give up any runs and just one hit for that matter. So the Toronto Blue Jays looking quite good after losing back-to-back games to the Baltimore Orioles. The Chicago Cubs still looking good at home. They are now 40-18 and at Wrigley Field. They get a 6-5 win over the Oakland A's. And in this one, it was Kyle Hendricks being able to deliver a good start at home. He's got a home ERA south of two. Six and a third innings. He gives up two runs, both of which were earned. One of which was a home run. And then Steve Ciszek was really the guy that was a little bit of a bugaboo for the Cubs. Their bullpen has been up and down this year. And Ciszek hasn't necessarily been great. He gives up three runs while recording just one out, including two home runs. For the Oakland A's going deep in this one, Marcus Simeon did it twice, his 18th and 19th of the year. And then Nick Martini winds up getting his first home run of the year. That is obviously a very good sign for this team as he has been 
injured for pretty much the entire year. And Chris Bassett gave a good start for the Oakland A's. He goes six innings. He gives up two runs, both of which were solo home runs. But Blake Tryon is the guy that gave it up. He records two outs. Gives up four runs, all of which were earned. This is an Oakland A's team that has a below-average bullpen ERA ever since the All-Star break, before the All-Star break for that last month or so. This team had been very stout, but for the Chicago Cubs, they get two home runs off the bat of Javi Baez, his 27th and 28th of the year. Ian Happ gets his first home run of the year, and Nick Castellanos gets his first home run as a Chicago Cub as well. So, needless to say, the Cubs now firing at all cylinders. Looks like the Twins are firing at all cylinders as well as they get a 5-3 win over the Atlanta Braves, and they were able to do it in walk-off fashion as Miguel Sano with a pinch hit two-run home run to be able to lift the Minnesota Twins in this one. For Sano, that is his 19th home run of the year. You also had a home run earlier in the game for Max Kepler, his 31st of the year. That came off of Mike Soroka, who was pretty good for the Atlanta Braves. He did wind up giving up three runs, but keep in mind, this is to the Minnesota Twins. He provided seven innings, but the bullpen of the Atlanta Braves has been in the bottom five ever since the All-Star break with regards to ERA, and Chris Martin, one of their acquisitions at the deadline, wound up giving up that home run to Miguel Sano for the Atlanta Braves. They did have one home run of their own that came off the bat of Freddie Freeman, his 27th of the year as the Minnesota Twins were able to get a very good start out of Jake Odorizzi. This is a guy that ever since the middle of June had been giving up four runs or more in over 50% of his starts, but in this one, six innings pitch gives up just one run, but the Minnesota Twins, they themselves have had some massive bullpen issues ever since the break. They're in the bottom 10 in regards to ERA there, and Ryan Harper wound up giving up Two runs, only one of which was earned, though, but it was the team being able to pull it out in the end thanks to Miguel Sano being able to go yard in for the Minnesota Twins. They were able to make the Atlanta Braves 22-6 and as road favorites, so needless to say, they've been doing a good job there, and the Twins themselves, 35-21 and at home, so they're actually quite balanced with regards to their home and road splits. A team that has not been generating as much power at home as they have been on the road is the Arizona Diamondbacks, and came back to bite them in this one as the Philadelphia Phillies get a 7-3 win. Vince Velasquez was not able to get an outfield assist like he did a few days ago, but in this one he was actually very good. 7 innings pitch, he gives up two runs, both of which were earned. You'd have Juan Niasco give up a run out of the bullpen, but all in all, this was a team that was able to get the job done thanks to a home run off the bat of Scott Kingery. He was able to set the tone early as 14th of the year as Merrill Kelly had a very good run from the beginning of June to the middle of July, but it looks like he's now getting a little bit shelled. He's now 7-12 on the year, 6 innings pitch. He gives up four runs, three of which were earned, including that home run. And the Arizona Diamondbacks bullpen is right now a hot mess. They wind up giving up three runs, two of which were earned in three innings of work. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, no home run in this one. This is an Arizona Diamondbacks team that's in the top eight in regards to home runs per game on the road at home. Bottom sixth in the big leagues in regards to home runs per game at home. So I find that to be a little bit of a weird split. The San Francisco Giants also have a weird split, but you'd probably know why with this one as they lose to the Washington Nationals by kind of 4-0. to The San Francisco Giants are averaging right around 5.2 runs per game on the road at home. That shrinks to right around 3.3 to 3.35. So needless to say, they have not been generating a lot of offense at home, but Eric Fetty was able to generate a very good start. This is a man that in one of his previous starts in the month of July gave up nine runs at his start, but in this one, he goes six innings, does give up six hits, but was able to evade danger from there. Danny Hudson, Fernando Rodney, and Sean Doolittle provide a combined three innings of relief for a Washington Nationals bullpen that since the beginning of June actually has been quite decent, and the Nationals weren't able to get any home runs. They leave 10 on base. They go 1 of 11 with men in scoring position, but they were able to utilize eight walks to be able to get the job done here, and Jeff Samarja, 
he just wasn't long for this game due to the walks. Four innings pitch, he only gives up one run, but then he had to put it in the hands of the bullpen, who had to go five innings. He gave up three runs. This is for a Giants bullpen that entered into the night with the second-best bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. They were just forced into a lot of action. And for the San Francisco Giants, just nothing doing with the bats in this one. But there was a lot doing with the bats out there in the city of Los Angeles as the Dodgers were able to take down the St. Louis Cardinals by a count of 8-0 to zero to cap off the night. It was early and often for the Dodgers as they put up a three spot in the first inning as being able to go yard for the L.A. Dodgers in this game was Cody Bellinger in that first inning, his 37th of the year. Jock Peterson added one later, his 24th of the year as Michael Waka just went waka 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 that was my impression of the Pac-Man game, whenever you die, as he went three and two-thirds innings. Gave up six runs, all of which were including both of those home runs. And then I will say, from there, the St. Louis bullpen was not too bad. They wind up going four and a third innings, giving up two runs. This is a St. Louis Cardinals bullpen that is in the top seven in the big leagues with regards to ERA. But in this one, the offense just wasn't doing anything. Two total hits. Tony Gonsolin, who is making, I believe, his second career start and his third ever appearance at the big league level. Six innings pitch. Gives up just two hits. He was dynamic. And then Casey Sadler and JT Chirigos come out of the bullpen and combine three innings. They don't give up a single hit. They were just absolutely spectacular. And the St. Louis Cardinals are now on a big binge of unders. Depending on your closing line when they played their last game against the Pittsburgh Pirates, you're either looking at eight of the last 10 games for the St. Louis Cardinals going over or 7-2-1 in that regard. So the St. Louis Cardinals not generating a lot of offense. So what did we all learn from Major League Baseball on Monday? In regards to a last 10 games basis, the New York Mets are the hottest team out there in the big leagues, and Jacob deGrom continues to be magnificent in day games. The totals just keep flying over in games that are played in Pittsburgh. Meanwhile, the overs keep flying for the New York Yankees whenever they hit the road. Lucas Giolito appears to be profitable, and the Detroit Tigers appear to still be very embarrassing. The Kansas City Royals are still in a massive funk, but the Boston Red Sox, they certainly do have some bullpen issues. Perhaps Mike Miner has overcome his regression, and he's continuing to do quite well, though the Cleveland Indians, they still have a solid bullpen. The Toronto Blue Jays are getting some good bullpen pitching, and perhaps the overs are done for the Tampa Bay Rays. The LA Angels just continue to be ice cold. Meanwhile, Luis Castillo just continues to be one of the best pitchers out there in the National League. The Chicago Cubs just keep getting the job done whenever they are at home. The Minnesota Twins were able to halt the Atlanta Braves' dominance as a home, as a road underdog. The Philadelphia Phillies might finally be getting some good starts out of Vince Velasquez. Meanwhile, the Arizona Diamondbacks continue to fail to hit home runs at home. The LA Dodgers continue their home dominance. 43-15 and 15 now is their home record. And the San Francisco Giants are just not scoring a lot of runs at home. That is what we all learned from Major League Baseball on Monday. Now let's turn the page forward to Tuesday. Let's talk a little bit of prospecting. And let's talk a little bit about a man that is currently 15-1-1 in his strikeout props. That man is Christian Pina of the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. And he is coming your way next right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. And we are back here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson coming at you from the Azunia Heel Studios out here in lovely Las Vegas. We've had this fine gentleman on the podcast quite a few times, and the reason why we always bring him back is because he provides tremendous insight. This is a guy that finds value where few others do. He is locked in on so many sports as well. Not only does he do a tremendous job with baseball, and oh, by the way, his strikeout props, 
15-1-1. Yeah, I would say that that's pretty darn good, but this guy is tremendous in the UFC. I'm sure he is doing a whole lot with regards to getting set for the football season as well. And you can find this fine man on Twitter at Christian Pina. He is the host of the Inside Vegas podcast for the Sports Gambling Podcast Network and does a variety of other things. So Christian, how are you doing on this fine day? Good, man. I always laugh at your kind words, man. The Boston enemy just doesn't know what to do with them, but... One of the best people out there. I cannot thank you enough for having me on, man. You know, I could talk baseball with you morning, noon, and night. Absolutely. And I can always talk to you about just prospecting in general because you're a guy that you look at a lot of these guys that are down there at the lower levels. You try to find some value when they come up. And we saw a very interesting situation yesterday with the Marlins flipping pitchers in their doubleheader. Sandy Alcantara was supposed to pitch game one. Instead, he went in game two. And you saw Robert Duger, who was supposed to pitch game two, go to game one. And we saw no dip in the value when they switched. I don't know about you, but I was completely befuddled by this because I don't get into quite as much prospecting as you, but I pay attention to a lot of the guys that's their AAA level and everything like that. And nine AAA starts. Robert Duger had an ERA north of nine in his last four starts. He had given up at least five runs. Now, Sandy Alcantara has struggled ever since the All-Star break, but to me, there was just absolutely no reason why the value on Sandy Alcantara should have been the exact same as a dude at AAA with an ERA north of nine. Yeah, prospecting to me is one of those things where it's a real advantage over a bookmaker. And, you know, the reasons that professionals are hitting these, you know, little niche markets, let's call them, it's because, you know, you're able to make your own lines. You're able to see where, you know, is a odds maker going to spend the same amount of time, you know, handicapping Mississippi Valley State versus, you know, whoever than they are in North Carolina and Duke, where they know the handle is going to be so much more. So when these guys come up, they're largely, you know, the best pitching prospects in baseball, when you think of this, are largely on bad teams. So are they going to, you know, really handicap? I know Casey Mize is a unique example because he has a little bit of Strasburg hype, but a guy like Zach Allen coming up in. And I think that, you know, Ponce de Leon is somebody, uh, you know, I've been so high on. Alex Reyes, Zach Allen, who is finally able to get off that Miami team. Dylan Cease, there's so many guys out there that are on bad teams that you're inherently going to get value on because oddsmakers really don't know how to price them. And we've seen this time and time again throughout the season. And it's something to keep an eye on, especially with September call-ups as these guys get a taste of big league action. Um, and, you know, there's always that one person who really kind of comes on the scene. Gallon has been great. I would look for Forrest Whitley to really be in that Julio Urias role come playoffs and be priced like a, you know, walk Bueller, if he's able to you know, navigate around his issues in AAA, I think he will be you know, a great asset for Houston as it's upcoming, and you'll be able to live that him a little bit in the bullpen, all those type of stuff. I totally agree with you, as we do have Christian Pina of the Inside Vegas podcast joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And Christian, I know that you're a guy that you do look at a little bit of a change of scenery as sometimes being good for guys. Obviously, you were just talking about Zach Allen. He went from the Miami Marlins to the years and the Diamondbacks at the trade deadline. We saw Aaron Sanchez in his first start with Houston Astros. Well, couldn't have won a whole lot better as he was a part of a combined no-hitter. Or a couple of guys that you, that you saw move at the deadline that you think could be really good or really bad fits with their new team. Because I do think that it is interesting that Trevor Bowers now with the Cincinnati Reds because the Reds have been doing such a good job with some of the guys that they brought in like Sonny Gray and company. I think that he might get a little bit more consistent down the line. 
And I'm right there with you. I do think that there is a lot of value on Zach Allen. Let's start with the big one, man. Zach Grinke. I tweeted this out. It is going to be so interesting and so unique to see what pitching under bright lights and pitching in games that matter, again, happen. You know, what that does to uh, Zach Grinke. Look, on paper, one, two, three, they just made the best move of the deadline, and that could be season-defining. It's going to be season-defining in two ways, though. And this is, you know, a really you know, a big issue right now and a hot-button topic to talk about. But I think that when you're talking about sports handicapping and making money, especially at professional levels, you need to take everything into account. Zach Grinke was a guy who really you know, has had some mental health issues and struggled with anxiety. The reason he had such a big no-trade clause you know, to where those teams specifically were that he would not go, they were all big markets and big contenders. Bright Lights was something he did not enjoy. And so, you know, you look at Houston and what that could do to, you know, somebody with a, you know, psyche like that, it's going to be very interesting to see how that, you know, plays out and how what happens with him. That being said, I don't think there's much there isn't a better situation from a clubhouse perspective that Zach Rinke could you know, find himself in with the culture that the Houston Astros have. A lovable bro culture of guys just going out there and having fun and Bregman. I mean, you have Justin Verlander there that can really kind of guide him, you know, help him in whatever it is that he needs. But it is something to keep in mind and see what happens. And, you know, there could be a little bit of a, I mean, I know Grinke is, you know, 10 times the pitcher that a Sonny Gray is or a Drew Pomerantz is, but you might see a, another situation presented itself where a guy you know needs to be under the radar you talked about you know Sonny Gray to me I don't really give the Reds all that much credit for him that's just a guy who could not pitch under the bright lights of New York but you put him in you know Cincinnati you put him in Oakland and he's going to do great and you can say the same thing about Pomerantz was I believe what the NL starter you know, a couple of years ago in San Diego you know you put him in Boston and it shows what he can do there and some guys are just not cut out for it so it, that's the biggest one Bauer game to game it'll be a little bit you know something to keep in mind but I think it almost kind of hurts what you know his motivation he's a gamer and I know they had a, a little bit of a subpar season but they're really making waves now and to be in a situation with Cincinnati I don't think it is hard to hearts he really thinks they can make the playoffs this year so maybe a little overvalued in my estimation but it's all about psyche and, and the placement of where they're going absolutely it is one of those things where you do find out a little bit through the first couple starts as well, because typically through the first couple starts, you get a little bit of a boost going to a new team. We didn't see that necessarily with Andrew Kasher, but typically whenever a guy goes to a new place, he's a little bit fired up to be there. And then from there, the wheels really hit the road as we do have Christian Bina joining me right here on the podcast. And Christian, I know that you've been doing a great job with your strikeout props, which I mentioned a little bit earlier. 15-1-1 one one as of, I believe, the afternoon that is absolutely sensational what have you been really looking at because you've been doing strikeout props better than anyone else i can find just anywhere in general the inception of why I started incorporating them a lot more goes back to, you know me, I am a long-term better. And the way that I handicap baseball is, you know, I, I take a bunch of different things, whether it be trends, road splits, I, you know, whatever it is that, that makes up my recipe, if you will. And I bet it every single time. So if I have a guy that I'm back in the first five market, again, because I only really want to handicap pitcher versus pitcher and eliminate variance, I'm going to do it every single time. And conversely, if I want to sell or bet against them, I'm going to do it every single time. When you really keep good records of your bets, I think it allows you to go back at the end, whether you, you know, four quarters, first half, second half, and see what you did right, see what you did wrong. And, and when I was looking back at these, the K props that I was attacking were, you know, 
one of the best assets, but I wasn't doing them as much as I probably should have. And so, you know, to me, it's, it's a really you know, simple situation where you can attack things over and over again. And you know, I'm not going to give away the exact kind of formula that I've kind of come up with to model this out. Um, but it's something that is so incredibly easy and you just have to have the discipline to you know, really vet them every single time when they present itself. And it's something that's you know, pretty fairly available to everyone out there. Um, you just got to put in the research and, and be willing to do you know, go about that in the long term and you know, really simply look out you know, for high strikeout teams against specific left or right and you know, see what the opposing pitcher is like against them and target those situations over and over. I do agree with you. There are certain guys that I certainly do like to back. And then whenever I see Chris Archer on the card, it's like, uh, give me the other side. Shit has been so bad. And Chris Sale, too. If you've bet on Chris Sale and every one of his starts so far this year, according to Oddshark, you're downright around $1,200. He's just a guy that it seems like he's a favorite every time. And every single time we saw it once again against the Yankees. Though I will say, home plate umpire didn't do him any favors, but everything that can go wrong will go wrong when he's been on the mound so far this year. And Everything that could go wrong did go wrong for Mike Fultonavich when he was on the mound earlier this year, and he has been recalled from AAA for the Atlanta Braves for Tuesday. He's going to be going up against Jose Barrios. This is a gentleman that I know you've talked about quite a bit as being so dynamic at home. I was taking a look this year at his home in road splits. 210 ERA at home. Right now we're seeing the Minnesota Twins about a minus 145 or so favorite. What do you make out of this one? Just because we haven't seen Fultonavich at the big league level since, I believe it was June 22nd. Meanwhile, Barrios has been just dynamic all year long. Yeah, he has been great, man, and you touched on it. In certain situations, I bet on guys every single time, pretty much unless there's another guy that I want to buy on the opposite side of him. And Berrios, probably the best, uh, you know, I call it Berrios syndrome. Kyle Hendricks has a little bit of this. Leolito, Luis Castillo, even to a degree. That means that you're really, really great at home, and on the road, you just can't figure it out. And I have maintained... If Jose Barrios could figure out his home road splits, he would be a Cy Young leader and would win a Cy Young. I think he'll still finish in the top three this year. But that's you know that's been his type of situation. And this was originally supposed to be, I believe, free. Both teams have kind of really flipped their pitchers around this year. Look, as somebody who watches a lot of AAA baseball, I'm here to tell you, Fulty is not the Fulty that you remember. You look at a you know a guy like Barrios with that ERA in record at home at a minus one fifty opening tag. That to me screams value on a favorite that. Uh, you know, a lot of people will say there's not a lot of value on favorites inherently in Major League Baseball. That's a little bit of a short price. That would be all over Barrios and will be all over Barrios in that situation for sure. I mean, been unreal at home, like I said, and that price tag really surprised me. I didn't gush about that one enough. I agree with you. I wrote this one up for the New York Post for the Vegas Ads and Information Network, all about Barrios in this spot myself, as we do have Christian Pina joining me on the podcast. Does terrific work with the Inside Vegas podcast and is a terrific handicapper himself. And he's joining me talking a little bit about the Tuesday slate as we were talking about Zach Cranky a couple minutes ago as well. And he's actually going to be making his Houston Astros debut on Tuesday. He's going to be at home against Herman Marquez of the Colorado Rockies. Rockies were able to get a couple wins over the San Francisco Giants. Obviously, a little bit of a good sign there for a team that had really struggled throughout late June slash pretty much the entire month of July. And we're noticing the Astros right around a $2 favorite. Obviously, the money line may not have a whole lot of value here. What do you make out of this spot? Just because. I think it's going to be very intriguing to see how Zach Greinke comes out in his first start in Houston because you do mention the anxiety issues. He's out in a little bit of a bigger market than he's used to, but at the same time, we did also see him in the city of L.A., and he was quite good when he was with the Dodgers. 
he was quite good, but there was a lot more that, um, you know, not a lot of people know a report on them as to why he left that market. And it really, really got to him. So look, to me, you know, I am perfectly happy you know, passing on this minus 200 price tag to learn a little bit about Bernie, not even the numbers, the demeanor, the body language, breathing, all that type of stuff. So to me, look, you can learn a lot more kind of passing on this game and watching it to set up your next bets because there is a real situation with this Houston offense behind him, especially with Marquez going that I think he could you know, turn into a really great over pitcher. There was a trend out there to start the season and I'm going to start by year to date. Zach Grinke Games had a first run score in 16 straight at one point and I believe it's like 18 and 2 right around there. Either way, it could be one of those anomalies that people don't put much stock in, but that's just kind of what the trends are. So, you know, if Grinke does falter and it doesn't go off, you know, without a hitch as he makes his Astros debut, I think he could turn into a great over pitcher, especially in the first five market with that offense behind him. But this one is much more of a wait and see approach and then you know, extract what you need to out of that. Interesting to see how it goes because even Herman Marquez, who was just a complete hot mess for about a month and a half, seems to have found it himself. So he's a guy that's on a little bit of a turnaround. And we mentioned home and road splits. One of the bigger ones out there in the big league has to be the Chicago Cubs as well because the Chicago Cubs at home going into Monday, 39 and 18 at home. On the road, over 10 games below 500. It has to be the most extreme out there in the big league for any team. And John Lester has been much better at home than he has been on the road. 295 ERA at home. On the road, right around a 481 ERA. 6-2 and two at home for John Lester. 3-5 and five on the road. He's going up against a guy in Brett Anderson. That let's face it, he's a little bit better at home than he is on the road as well. What do you make out of this spot? Because right now I'm seeing the Cubs as right around a minus 140 favorite. They've been very good at Wrigley Field so far this year, but we know that the Oakland A's actually a team that's just a shade over 500 on the road as well. Kind of two strengths here matching up. Lester has been amazing at home this year. I mean, truthfully, you really kind of hit on all the points here when you break this one down. You see a minus 145 in a coin flip game, and you know I do think that Lester is the much better pitcher than a guy like Brett Anderson, but inherently you know, in a coin flip game, minus 110 or above, you Probably should lean with the dog, especially with the issues, you know, that Chicago said throughout the season, the ups and downs. But to me, I can't go against Lester at home. And you really talked about this as to, you know, the Jose Barrios syndrome that he has had this year. And so I always start with that. I, you know, the numbers guys, and I'm sure, you know, maybe even yourself will kind of gravitate towards the underdog in this spot just because they've been, you know, better on the road. Um, but, you know, if you look at Chicago at home, specifically Lester, I don't know. That I could get to the window with an Oakland game, but this one's probably one I'm, I'm going to look to uh, lay off of it and just let it play out and see if these do continue. And like you said, the splits are almost crazy, but I mean, you're talking at home two nine five ERA, six and two away, four eight one, a three and five record, and it gets a little bit even you know dicier when you, you break this down versus lefties. This is the weird part: uh, lefties against Lester this year hitting uh, three hundred. When you look at righties hitting two seventy four, so he's struggled with lefties, which is something you wouldn't you know, necessarily think of when you look at a lefty pitcher, especially one who could be as dominant as Lester. But you look down through this current Oakland lineup as it is constituted right now, and they, they're they hitting 196 as a team. Only Steven Biscotti has a home run off of them. So he's certainly had success against them, so I would go with Lester on the road there. And I've been playing Chicago just vastly different at home than I have been on the road as Christian Pina is joining me on the podcast. And I do think that it is very important because you notice that there are some teams that they are so much better at home than they are at, on the road. The Texas Rangers certainly have been one of those cases. They're right around 10 games below 500 on the road, but at home, they've been pretty dynamic. There's just no way that even though they're getting right around plus 170, I can ride with them against the Cleveland Indians. Is that please stack for that reason? You take a look at the Detroit Tigers. 
This is a team that's right now winning like 33% of their games at home. I believe they're like 13 and 36 as of right now at home. They're just a completely unbackable side. They've been playing so bad that it's not even funny. And I do think that these home and road splits sometimes go overlooked by the casual better. And you can make a whole lot of money just by studying that home and road split because there are just some pitchers, there are just some teams in general that they just play so much better in their friendly confines. You're talking at my heartstrings. That's how I bet baseball, except I dig to the next level and I see which pitchers are starting games that constitute and are making up that record overall for a, you know, a team at home or on the road. And if you bet it every single time, that's kind of the way I go about handicapping baseball. That's, you know philosophically really how I handicap the game of Major League Baseball amongst different areas but that's not the overarching philosophy and I think that it's a little bit more work a little bit more research you know there's ways to make it easier on yourself and if you're not doing that I honestly feel you're giving yourself a little bit of a disservice and not putting in everything that you can when you look at this I mean Detroit you know Paul Brown splits aside, throwing out Drew Verhagen uh, in his 11-6-6 ERA. And I guess, you know, I know Hector, Hector Santiago is nothing to write home about. Detroit needs a couple things right now. They need inning eaters and need the season to be over to get another high draft pick. And they are playing their games accordingly. And I think it's, you know, you have to take advantage of those situations when they arise. I do agree with you. And Christian, is there any other juicy spots that you're really looking at on Tuesday's card? Because we do have quite a few games. You do point out the doubleheader that's going to be going down between the White Sox and the Detroit Tigers. White Sox obviously struggling on offense, but let's face it, the Detroit Tigers are struggling in all facets of baseball. We talked about a couple of the marquee pitching matchups and Obviously, we're dealing with a couple games that are off the board as well. Let's talk something that will illustrate the way that I bet baseball. And, you know, I know it's a heavy favorite. You can play it on the run line. You can do what you want with it. But the fact is, you know, people want to talk about Kershaw. And, you know, it's not the same guy and the velocity. But he has learned to pitch with what he has. And this season, the Dodgers 15-4 and four in Kershaw starts. And, you know, you can flat bet it. That's kind of how I go approach these long-term ones. Strasburg on the road is another one I believe is upcoming again that he's been you know, absolutely amazing at. So, you know, for the Tuesday card, the Grinky one is fascinating to me. I would definitely, I will definitely be on the Minnesota game in the first five innings as well. On Tuesday, Dylan Cease to me is a stud of a pitcher that just hasn't figured it out yet. I know they're on the same team, so it seems almost lazy to make the comparison, but you know, people forget that Giolito struggled for so long and was you know one of the best fades in baseball the last couple of years, and then figured it out. And you know, he struggled so badly when he first came up, but I think that Dylan Cease is a guy much like we talked about prospecting, is a little bit of an undervalued spot here. You're talking about a pick against you know, Daniel Norris and the Detroit Tigers. I wish it was a little bit longer, get a little bit more dog money on Dylan Cease. Uh, but to me, that's the one that sticks out along with the Kershaw trend and fascinating to see how Grinky looks as well. Miami in the K-Prop market, to talk a little bit about that. Miami team, I, I've looked to go on a bait against, you know, right-handers and, and Zach Wheeler, 144Ks and 131. Certainly does make some sense in the K-Prop market as well, but those are pretty much all the angles I'm looking at for Tuesday. And you do bring up Dylan Cease. He hasn't necessarily looked well this year, but in his debut against the Detroit Tigers, the White Sox were able to cover the run line in that one. And let's face it, I've mentioned it with the Tigers before. This is a team that's looking like they're going to win fewer than 60 games this year. They're just right now lost in the wilderness. And you also bring up Clayton Kershaw. Team is 15-4 and four so far in his starts so far this year. So needless to say, if you've been betting on Clayton Kershaw on every one of his starts, you've been pretty profitable. And you've also been very profitable if you've been following the picks of Christian Pina. You've been just absolutely lights out with your strikeout props. You've been doing a great job in the UFC. You've been doing a great job in baseball in general, especially in the second half. I'd like to close up with this and just let you promote a little bit more about what you do, the Inside Vegas podcast, and 
just how people can get more Christian in their lives in general. You can find me on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network and Sports Gambling Podcast feeds where I host Inside Vegas. Weekly, looking at, you know, the show title kind of says it all, but also looking at how social media has changed the game in podcast form and what it has done for that market. I've really tried to kind of flip the quote-unquote tout game around it and show that it can be a win-win for everybody not charge a large fee at all for the work that's being put in. It is there. I also do free plays on sportsgamingpodcast.com. That link is tweeted out as the website, cpsportsinc.com, as well as everything else on my Twitter, at Christian Pina, kind of the hub for everything as it is nowadays, you know? Absolutely. A big thanks to Christian Pina of the Inside Vegas Podcast on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Coming up next, it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board in a little something I like to call Touch Em All. Hey, I'm Steve Heitner, the guy who uttered the famous phrase, that's gold. And that's the inspiration of my new podcast, That's Gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more. Five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's gold with me, Steve Heitner. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. And we're back here in the Zindy Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime betting. A big thanks to our man Christian Pina of the Sports Gambling Podcast Network and the podcast Inside Vegas for joining me. And now it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board. And we do so in a little something I like to call Touch Em All. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Note that any changes that are made to these plays are going to be listed up on my Twitter feed, at GNRSquarty1 with some of these games. We are all locked in. Good to go. Bet on everything like that. Some of these plays, we are in wait and see mode. Some of these games just have no pitchers in general that are listed, so for that reason, they are off the board. Other of these games, we're waiting on some line moves, lineup changes, everything like that, and I'll be keeping you guys abreast of that as we go along. And as always, we go in Las Vegas rotation order, starting with 951-952. The Milwaukee Brewers hit the road to face off against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Stephen Brault goes for the Pirates. Chase Anderson for the Milwaukee Brewers. Your total on this game is 9.5. The over and under, both are at minus 110. If you like the Brewers, anywhere between minus 140 and minus 145 is what you're laying. Plus price with the Buccos, anywhere between plus 130 and plus 132. The Pittsburgh Pirates certainly do have some guys that do a tremendous job of getting on base. The problem is, they just haven't had a lot of power since the All-Star break. This is why they got off to a 4-17 and start ever since the All-Star break. Now, you do have a bunch of guys that they are good at getting on base, like I said a little bit earlier. Sterling Marte, Josh Bell, Carl Moran, all guys that have a batting average between a .278 and a .285. In the case of Marte, he's got 20 home runs, and Josh Bell still has... 27 home runs at 89 RBI, but ever since the break and ever since the home run derby, he hasn't necessarily been himself. Jacob Sellings has done a tremendous job of getting on base. Adam Frazier hitting a 275 ish himself, and Elias Diaz at the catcher spot is hitting a 310. And then you add in there Kevin Newman is hitting a 310. Melky Cabrera is a bit above 300, along with Jose Azuna and Brian Reynolds, like 331, which is nice. But with the Pittsburgh Pirates, they certainly do have a woeful bullpen. And with the Milwaukee Brewers, they've had one of the worst bullpens out there in the big leagues as well, ever since the All Star break. And they've had a couple guys that have been struggling with the bat as Christian Yelich has really been the lone form of offense for this team recently. 
Goes deep once again yesterday. His 38th of the year. He's got 83 RBI. He's hitting 332 on base percentage of 425. One of the league leaders in regards to stolen bases. I will say Castanera has been very good for this team. He's slowing down a little bit, but he's still hitting above a 300. He's been getting a home run every 15 or so at bats. Trent Grisham, ever since getting recalled from the minor leagues, has done a very good job in a limited sample size, but Lorenzo Cain and Thames both hitting right around a 245 now. You do have Orlando Arcio who's really struggled with a 225. Manny Pina and Travis Shaw both hitting right around that Mendoza line, which is 200. You do have Mike Moustakis as well. He's done a solid job. He and Yasmani Grandal have both gone deep quite a few times. Moussakis, 26 home runs. Yasmani Grandal, 19. But both these guys have been very cold with regards to getting home runs recently. Moussakis hitting a 265-ish. Yasmani Grandal more around a 250. And this is a spot where I do think it's going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game. I do know that the Pittsburgh Pirates have played right around 68 to 69% of their games to the over so far this year. But Chase Anderson recently has been very good for the Milwaukee Brewers. 5-2 record, 3.73 ERA. You take a look at what he's done ever since the beginning of the month of July. He hasn't necessarily been going deep in his starts. He has not went past the sixth inning in any of them. But he has also done a very good job in his last seven starts, giving up two runs or fewer in every one of them. And you even date it back to the end of the month of June. Eight starts in which he's had two runs or fewer. Meanwhile, Stephen Brault, this is a gentleman that is coming off the injured list, but before going on the injured list, he actually did show a little bit of promise. His last start was in July, wound up giving up one run in four innings against this very team. And you take a look at what he was able to do since the month of May. He's given up more than three runs in just one start. So he's not a guy that's necessarily going to light the world on fire, but at the same time, he's not going to light the game on fire either. But I do think that the Milwaukee Brewers are going to get a little bit more out of Chase Anderson. You just don't know how long Brault is going to go since he is coming off the injury list. So for that reason, going to go with the Milwaukee Brewers in a little bit of a lower scoring game, taking the Brewers' money line and the total under. Right now, waiting to see if a little bit of steam comes in on the oversight way. I can get a little bit of a more favorable juice there and with the Brewers right now I saw them open up at minus 150 that is down to more around minus 140-ish in some spots, so waiting to see if that takes down a little bit more as well. 9.53, 9.54 on the bank rotation. The New York Mets are going to be playing also the Miami Marlins. Jordan Yamimoto goes for the Marlins. Meanwhile, Zach Wheeler on the bump for the Mets. Your total on this game is 8 over and under, both at minus 110. If you're looking at the Mets, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 190 and minus 195. Your plus price with the Miami Marlins is going to be plus 175. And we do know this, that Jordan Yamimoto certainly has seen a little bit of regression. This is a gentleman that through his first like seven starts was absolutely dynamic. He has cooled down a little bit since then. But Zach Wheeler... Also has been a little bit of a hot mess this year. 8-6 record. He's been giving up right around 1.3 home runs per nine innings. I will say, in his last start, Zach Wheeler looked very good against the White Sox, going seven scoreless innings. But in the month of July, he wound up making a grand total of three starts over the course of 16 and two-thirds innings. He wound up giving up 11 runs. So needless to say, that was not ideal. This is a guy that was on the injury list throughout the month of July quite a bit. And in the month of June... All but two of his starts, he gave up at least three runs in those as well. So he certainly has had his struggles. Meanwhile, with the Miami Marlins and Jordan Yamimoto, he's done a good job of keeping the ball in the yard. Has given up only four home runs in 48 innings, but he's also giving out over four walks per nine innings. But you got to feel like the Marlins are going to be able to muster a little bit of offense in this spot. You do have Brad Anderson sitting right around at 245 for this bunch. His home run count is at 17. He's been able to deliver a little bit of something for this team. You do have a couple guys that are really struggling with the bat. Lewis Brinson got recalled. He, Curtis Granderson, JT Riddle, 
Yadiel Rivera, all these guys are hitting below 200, but then you got Miguel Rojas and Brian Holiday along with Garrett Cooper, all these guys hitting right around to 290. We're noticing that Harold Ramirez has really dipped down with his batting average. That's more around to 270. Neil Walker's hitting right around to 260, and then you've got Martin Prado and Sterling Castro hitting in that 250 neighborhood, but you do have a couple pieces that you're able to build around. Meanwhile, with the New York Mets, Jeff McNeil has been doing an absolutely amazing job with his team. On base percentage over a 400 in game one of the doubleheader yesterday, it was amazing. 337 batting average. And you do have a couple guys that are starting to pick it up with their batting average as well. Michael Conforto, Pete Alonso, Wilson Ramos, all guys hitting between a 255 and a 265. And we know the power that Pete Alonso has in his bat. 34 home runs, 79 RBI. But Michael Conforto also has been going deep quite a few times as well. 22 dingers for him. Wilson Ramos had a 6 RBI game a few days ago. Then you do have a couple guys that you really can't trust. Guys like Denny Hentraveria, Juan Lagares, company. They've been a little bit of a letdown. Todd Frazier hitting right around to 245. But Amit Rosario actually hitting at 285. And whenever you have J.D. Davis out there, he's been doing a solid job as well. But I do think that there is a lot of value on the Miami Marlins. I do think that they're going to be able to get to Zach Wheeler. And I know that the Mets bullpen has been one of the best out there in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break. Top 10 in regards to ERA. But I do think that it's still a little bit trust- untrustworthy. I think the Marlins are going to be able to get them, and they're going to be able to get them for a win. So for that reason, going to be riding with the plus price of the Miami Marlins and the total over. Certainly don't think that a whole lot of public money is going to be coming in on the Miami Marlins. And I do think that this total is going to be able to stay right here. I'm going to try to see if I'm able to get a little bit of better juice, but probably going to be winding up locking in an 8. 9.55, 9.56 on the baiting rotation. It is Philadelphia Phillies hitting the road face-off against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Mike Leake will make his debut for the D-backs. Meanwhile, Jake Arrieta goes for the Philadelphia Phillies. Total in this game is 9.5. Under is the juice anywhere between minus 115, minus 120. The over is anywhere between even minus 105. If you're looking at the Arizona Diamondbacks, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 118 and minus 120. The plus price with the Philadelphia Phillies. Anywhere between plus 108 and plus 110. And this is a spot where I'm going to be taking a look at the Arizona Diamondbacks. The Philadelphia Phillies just have not been getting much going with their offense going into Monday. This is a team that had scored four runs or fewer in 14 out of their last 21 games. And Jake Arriott himself, he's been a hot mess so far this year. He's giving up a little bit over 1.5 home runs per nine innings, 8-8 record, 4.44 ERA, but you just take a look at what he's done recently. He hasn't given any length. Last time he went six or more innings in a start was in the month of June, and he ended June with giving up four or more runs in his last two starts there. He then had two starts in the month of July in which he gave up at least four starts, and then he only gave up one run in his last start against the San Francisco Giants, but he only went four innings there. This is a guy that's been highly unreliable. Meanwhile, Mike Leake, he has been all over the boulevard. He is one of the leaders in regards to home runs given up out there in the big leagues, but he gave up only more than three earned runs in one start in the month of July for the Seattle Mariners. Now, that was part of the combined no-hitter of the Angels, and he only got two outs in the game, and he gave up four runs, so needless to say, that was far from great, but he is a very good innings eater. He does a good job of just being able to keep the game out in front of him, and I do think that Arizona might be a good place for him because he is backed up by a lineup that I know they don't hit quite as well at home as they do on the road, which is a little bit ironic because on the road, this is one of the best mashing teams out there, the big leagues at home. They're in the bottom eight in regards to home runs per game, but you do have Eduardo Escobar and Catel Marte doing a great job. 24 home runs apiece. Escobar's hitting a 280. Catel Marte a 320. You now have David Peralta back in the fold. He's hitting a 280. Then you've got a bunch of guys that are hitting between a 260 and a 270 for this bunch. Adam Jones, Nick Ahmad, Carson Kelly all in that fold. And Carson Kelly, 14 home runs for him in a limited amount of at-bats. 
Jake Lamb hasn't necessarily been himself since coming off the injury list, hitting a 230, but you do have Christian Walker as well. He's hitting a 257, 20 home runs for him, and then whatever you need, Alex Avila. He's been doing a good job of getting on base and Gerard Dyson, hitting right around 251, one of the best base stealers out there in the big leagues. Meanwhile, with the Philadelphia Phillies, you have nobody on this team that's able to steal bases, but you do have a couple guys that are able to get on base. You've got JT Riamuto, Gene Segura, Scott Kangaroo, Cesar Hernandez, all these guys hitting between a 273 and a 285. Reese Hoskins and Bryce Harper have been doing a solid job with their power. Both these guys hitting right around a 250 to a 255. A combined 43 home runs for them and a combined 142 RBI, but they haven't been providing a lot of power ever since the break, aside from the game in which they both went yard against the Chicago White Sox. Adam Mazzelli has been hitting a 250 out there in the outfield, and Roman Quinn hitting below the Mendoza line along with Nick Williams, so not a lot of redeeming qualities there. You've got two of the lesser bullpens out there in the big leagues. Both these teams have struggled with their pen. I know that the Philadelphia Phillies made a couple additions at the deadline, but I don't really trust in them in this spot, and I do think that Mike Week is going to be able to do just a little bit of a better job than Jake Arrieta, but I certainly do think that runs are going to be a plenty in this spot, so for that reason, going to be laying in the air with the airs and the Diamondbacks, and going to be taking this total over. With the over, I'm trying to see if this total ticks down to 9. This thing opened up at 9.5. I'm noticing that juice is coming in on the under, so that's a good sign, and I am noticing that this line has been pretty stagnant, so perhaps a little bit of public money comes in on the Philadelphia Phillies. 9.57, 9.58 on the bagging rotation. It is Washington Nationals, and they are going to be playing host the San Francisco Giants. It is going to be Anibal Sanchez going for the Nationals. Meanwhile, for the San Francisco Giants, Connor Mendez, which is why this game is off the board. The Giants did not know that they were going to be going with Connor Mendez until... Well, just a few minutes ago, so that makes for a little bit of an interesting situation, but I did notice that in his first start, Connor Mendez did look pretty decent for the San Francisco Giants, so you do have a little bit of a redeeming quality there. Meanwhile, on the other side, Anibal Sanchez, ever since the month of May began, has been very good. His ERA, ever since the beginning of the month of May, hovering right around a 2-7. This is a gentleman that really was not able to get a whole lot going in the first month of the year, but ever since then, he has been pretty dynamic. He's had a couple ups and downs, especially in the month of July. He wound up giving up three runs and two starts, and in his most recent start, he gave up four runs and five innings against the Atlanta Braves, but needless to say, he was going up against some pretty good lineups there. In the start before, he was at home against the Dodgers, gave up one run and seven innings, and the Washington Nationals bullpen itself has been backing him up a little bit better. The Washington Nationals bullpen certainly still does have its issues, but with that said, they seem to be an improving bunch ever since June. They've been right around league average, so you know what? Mediocre is actually going to get the job done with the serves that they have. Meanwhile, with Menez, you take a look at what he did in his first start with the San Francisco Giants. was pretty good. He wound up going five innings. Gave up two runs. Now, both of those runs were off of solo home runs. So, obviously, that's a little bit high. But this is a guy with very good swing and miss stuff at the AAA level this year. He's getting 13.4 strikeouts per nine innings. He is also giving up 1.4 home runs. So, he is prone to giving up the long ball. But that actually plays very well to San Francisco because, obviously, with... Oracle Park, which it is now called. It is very much a pitcher-friendly park. And with the Washington Nationals, you do obviously have a couple guys that do a good job of mashing the ball. Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto come to mind. Both these guys are having an on-base percentage right in the neighborhood of a 400. You got Soto going deep 21 times for 71 RBI. Anthony Rendon, 24 home runs, 85 RBI. And then at the top of the lineup, Trey Turner and Adam Eaton have done a good job of setting the table. Adam Eaton setting a 275. Trey Turner, 22 stolen bases, nearly a 290 batting average. But then you've got a bunch of guys that are in between Right around a 238 to a 250, Matt Adams, Brian Dozier, Victor Robles all fall in that neighborhood. Jan Gomes is only getting a 215. Meanwhile, Kurt Suzuki 
has been doing a solid job at the catcher spot. 262 batting average for him. And for the San Francisco Giants, this is a team that has quite a few guys that are in between a 260 and a 270 themselves. Mikey Stremski, Buster Posey, Pablo Sandoval come to mind. And Pablo Sandoval, 14 home runs. He's been doing a good job for this team. They recently got back Evan Longoria as well. He's been sort of in and out of the lineup the past few days, but that should give the team a little bit of a boost before he went on the injured list. He was doing a good job of mashing the ball. He and Kevin Pillar have 13 home runs. Kevin Pillar was out of the fold for a little bit. Getting him back is going to be big. Brandon Crawford only inning at 230 himself and Brandon Belt a 235, but Belt providing a little bit of power himself. And with the Giants, even though they sold off a couple pieces like Mark Melanson and company at the All-Star break, they still have the second best bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. And in their series against the Colorado Rockies, they showed that their bullpen is very capable of being able to step up even with the pieces being sold off. So in this spot, probably going to be looking at an under. If you're noticing a plus price with the Giants, might be looking into it if the Washington Nationals are like a minus 120, minus 125, probably going to be on the Nationals. But if I'm getting a good plus price with the Giants, I'm probably going to be riding with them. So this is one of those games where it depends on the price. Check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRSCORD1 for set plays there. 959-960 on the bank rotation. The St. Louis Cardinals hit the road face off against the LA Dodgers. Clayton Kershaw goes to the Dodgers. Miles Mikolas is going to be on the bump for the St. Louis Cardinals. Your total on this game is 8.5. Under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even a minus 105. If you're looking at the Cardinals, your plus price is anywhere between plus 170 and plus 175. If you want to lay it here with the LA Dodgers, that is anywhere between minus 188 and minus 195. And this is a spot where I'm going to be taking a look at the Dodgers once again. They have just been so dominant at home going into Monday. 42 and 15 for the year. Needless to say, they have been a steamroller. I will say this though. Mr. Mikolas, after a little bit of a rough start to the year, has been doing a better job of keeping the ball in the yard. And you know this, he's not going to walk a lot of guys. In 117 innings, he's given out just 21 walks. That's right around 1.6, 1.7 walks per nine innings. And in the month of July, in his last four starts, he wound up giving up three earned runs or fewer in every one of them. He went at least six innings in three of them. The other one, he went five and two-thirds innings. He is certainly providing length, and he's backed up by one of the best bullpens out there in the big leagues. The St. Louis Cardinals have a top-seven bullpen in regards to bullpen ERA. Meanwhile, with the Dodgers, bullpen is not necessary, but trustworthy. Kenley Jansen is not what he once was, and then you got guys like Caleb Ferguson and company. They're not doing a great job, but you know who is doing a great job? Clayton Kershaw. It seems like every game he gives up a run or two early, and then he just really settles down. That has really been his MO. You take a look at him. Ever since, really, the month of June, in which he ended the month with two outings where he gave up four runs apiece, he has been absolutely dynamic. In the five starts since, he's given up a grand total of six runs across them, going at least six innings in every one of those starts. So he has been doing a terrific job in that regard. He's not giving out a lot of walks himself, right around... 2.1 to 2.2 walks per nine innings, and let's face it, the Dodgers are backing him up with a much better lineup than the St. Louis Cardinals. I will say, with the Cardinals, they did have a streak in which Paul Goldschmidt hit a home run in seven out of nine games. He's been doing a terrific job for this team. He, Marcel Zuna, Paul DeYoung, and Colt Wong are all guys hitting between a 255 and a 266. And for Goldschmidt, 25 home runs this year. Marcel Zuna, 20 home runs. Paul DeYoung, 19. And Ozuna was on the injured list for much of the year, so getting him back is big. Dexter Fowler has seen a dip in his average. He and Matt Wieters are both hitting a 239 going into Monday, but Jose Martinez hitting right around a 270 whenever they need Tyler Edmond. He's been doing a solid job hitting right around a 250. I did notice that Tyler O'Neill, whenever he got at bats as well, he had been doing a solid job, and Matt Carpenter at the top lineup. Does a good job of being able to draw walks, but is only hitting a 215 for the year. He just has been a hot mess. Meanwhile, with the Dodgers, 
Jack Peterson's batting average has been a little bit of a hot mess itself. Only a 228, but he does have 23 home runs, I will say, ever since the All-Star break in the home run derby. Hasn't necessarily been himself, but a guy who has been himself is Justin Turner. He, Kevin Nagarin, Matt Beattie, and Alex Verdugo are all guys hitting between a 285 and a 295. Will Smith at the catcher spot really getting jiggy with it. In a very limited amount of at-bats, he's been getting a home run every, I would say, 8 to 9 at-bats hitting above a 300. Cody Bellinger, he's just been balling out all year long. 325 average, 36 home runs, 85 RBI. So you've got to like what you see there. And Corey Seager hitting right around at 265 home run if you need A.J. Pollock. He's been solid as well. This is a spot where I've got to trust in Clayton Kershaw. I I know the Dodgers have lost a few of his starts, most of which came in June, but this is a guy that is 15-4 and four when he takes the mound for the Dodgers this year, and this is a spot where I'm going to be looking at the Dodgers on the run line, and I'm going to be looking at the total under sense. Miles Mikolas and that bullpen have been doing a pretty solid job, so we're going to be looking at both of those. I've not locked in either of these. I have noticed that the Total has ticked up a little bit, so I'm going to try to see if I'm able to get a little bit more favorable juice on an 8.5. And, and with the Dodgers run line, currently seeing that between even a plus 105. like to see if I'm able to get a little bit more of a plus price there. We move on to a game that's going to be a doubleheader, actually. So I'm going to be doing a two-for-one here. 961-962 is going to be game one of this doubleheader. This has a 10-10 a.m. Pacific, 1-10 p.m. Eastern first pitch time. This is White Sox on the road against the Detroit Tigers. Daniel Norris goes for the Detroit Tigers. Dylan Cease is going to be going for the White Sox. This is game one of the double dip. Your total on this game is nine. Over and under, both at minus 110. If you're looking at the White Sox, getting anywhere between even a plus 103. Meanwhile, the Tigers, anywhere between a minus 110 and minus 113 favorite. And then you've got 965, 966 on the bank rotation. This is game two of the double dip. This has a 410 p.m. Pacific first pitch, 710 p.m. Eastern first pitch. Hector Santiago goes for the Chicago White Sox. Meanwhile, Drew Hagen goes for the Detroit Tigers. Your total on this game is 10.5. Over and under both at minus 110. This one, the White Sox are a slight favorite. Anywhere between minus 110 and minus 112. Meanwhile, if you like the Tigers, that's anywhere between even a plus 102. So we're going to be breaking these down two for one. We're going to be starting with game 961-962. This is game one of the double dip. And with Dylan Cease, I am going to side with Chris Pina here a little bit. This was a guy that, according to MLB Pipeline, before he got sent up to the big leagues, was right around 30th to 35th-ish in regards to the top prospects out there in the game. And we did notice that in his start against the New York Mets, this guy looked a lot better. He did give out quite a few walks in his debut against the Detroit Tigers, but that was a game in which the White Sox were able to win, and they were able to win that game convincingly, so that is a little bit of a good mark, and he was able to go seven innings in his last start against the Mets, and a lot of those runs that he gave up wound up coming in that seventh inning, so he certainly is being lengthened out a little bit. 4.5 walks per nine innings, not necessarily redeeming, but what else is not redeeming is the fact that Daniel Norris is giving up more than 1.5 home runs per nine innings. I will say, in his last couple starts, he's actually been much better. In his last two starts, he's won a combined 11 and a third innings, giving up a combined two runs. And I will say, this was against the Seattle Mariners and the LA Angels. And at home, he's actually been a little bit worse than he has been on the road. I'm not sure how, and I'm not sure why, but this is a guy that actually does a little bit of a better job whenever he does hit the road. It's one of those weird and interesting splits, but I do think that runs are not going to be a plenty in this spot because with both the Detroit Tigers and the Chicago White Sox, both these teams are struggling to put runs up on the board. Going into Monday, the White Sox had scored four runs or fewer in 20 out of their last 26 games and three runs or fewer in 19 of them. Meanwhile, the Detroit Tigers, this is a team that is currently as offensive as Ned Flanders. They've got their best hitter as Brandon Dixon. 263 batting average, 
14 home runs. Whoopie stinking do. You do have a couple guys that are doing a decent job of getting on base. Harold Castro is hitting a 291. Miguel Cabrera, a 284. And then you got Nico Goodrum hitting a 250. Yay, I guess. Rogers at the catcher spot has been okay, but then you've got so many guys that are hitting a 220 or lower. Grayson Griner. Jody Mercer, Brian Wilson, Jaimir Candelario, Demright at the outfield spot. I don't even know his first name, and quite frankly, I don't care. He's been that bad. Rowdy Rodriguez, the list goes on and on. They are not getting a lot there. Christian Stewart is banged up. Jacoby Jones is hitting at 232. There's just not much like there. Meanwhile, with the Chicago White Sox, I know that they're right now dealing with the injury of Johan Moncada, but they do get Tim Anderson back. He's still hitting above a 300. Yomer Sanchez has been okay for this team. He's hitting at 253. James McCann and Loris Garcia are a pair of guys that are in between a 275 and a 290. Ryan Goins, you can throw in that mix as well. He's hitting a 285. John Jay's hitting a 330. And then you've got Jose Abreu and Eloy Amen supplying some power. Eloy Jimenez only hitting a 235, but in limited at-bats, he's got right around 18 home runs. Jose Abreu, meanwhile, 77 RBI, 23 home runs for him. He's been doing a very solid job in that regard, and I do think that the White Sox are going to be able to prevail because their bullpen has been one of the best out there in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break, and quite frankly, they've been an above-average bullpen for the entire year. You've got a lot of guys who you can trust in, like Aaron Bummer, Alex Colome, even Josh Osich has been a little bit better recently, Jace Fry. All these guys have been solid. Meanwhile, the Detroit Tigers, they wind up selling off Shane Green, and they just don't have a lot out there because the starting pitching has not been giving them a lot of length, so it's a badly taxed bullpen. I do think in game one, though, Daniel Norris is going to be able to give some good length, but I think the White Sox are able to pull it out thanks to their bullpen. So in game one of this doubleheader, going to be going with the White Sox and going to be going with the total under. I'm going to be in wait-and-see mode on both of these just because I'd like to see if I'm able to get a little bit more of a plus price on the White Sox. I'm waiting to see if this total ticks down a little bit. And then with game 960. Four nights, and then with game 965, 966 on the bag of rotation, I just can have absolutely no faith in Drew Verhagen whatsoever. And I do think that one Hector Santiago is going to be giving it up as well. You take a look at one Hector Santiago for his career, well, it's not necessarily great. He led the league in walked batters in the 2016 season with 79 of them. That year, he had a walks per nine rating of a four. That was not necessarily good. His last year as a full-time starter was 2017. He made 14 starts for the Minnesota Twins. 4-8 record, 5.63 ERA. This is a man that was giving up 1.9 home runs per nine innings, four walks per nine innings. And then in 2018 with the White Sox, 5.3 walks per nine innings. And you take a look at what he's done in the minor leagues with the Chicago White Sox. Well, it's not been good. In seven starts with AAA Charlotte, he's got an ERA that is currently a 584. He is giving up 2.2 home runs per nine innings. Only 2.2 walks per nine innings. That's a good sign, but man, he has not been good. But then you take a look at Drew Verhagen on the other side. I just pointed out how bad that bullpen is. And they have to back up a guy that has an ERA north of 10 right now. I mean, Drew Verhagen as a starter has been a complete and utter failure. You've got a Detroit Tigers team that they should be able to hit Hector Santiago a little bit. But Drew Verhagen delivering no length right now. His whip is a 280. I always say that if your whip is an impressive bench press for a set of 10, 
you're doing a bad job. If you're benching 280 pounds for a set of 10, you are absolutely jacked out of your mind. I mean, in two starts of the month of July, this guy gave up nine runs and eight and two-thirds innings to the Angels and the Seattle Mariners. There's just no redeeming qualities here. I'm going to be looking at the White Sox on the run line in 965-966 with Hector Santiago, thanks to that bullpen. And I'm going to be taking this game over right now Wayne Simo to see if I'm able to get favorable juice or perhaps a 10 instead of a 10 and a half on this over. And with the run line price, I'm seeing that at plus 130 for 965-966. So to recap, 961-962, Cease versus Daniel Norris, looking at the White Sox on the money line and the under in Wayne C mode there, 965-966, Santiago versus Verhagen, looking at the White Sox on the run line and that total over, currently that total at 10, looking to see if it ticks down a little bit more. Those are my plays. They're also pending, so check back in the morning on my Twitter feed, at squared one You never know when pitchers are going to be flipped or anything like that like yesterday, so hopefully I kept that thing as straight as possible for you guys. As we move on to something a little bit less confusing, 9 963-964 on the bang rotation. The New York Yankees are going to be hitting the road to face off against the Baltimore Orioles. Asher Wojciechowski goes for the Baltimore Orioles. For the New York Yankees on the betting board, it is listed as good old to be announced, which means that this game is presently off the board. We do know this, that Asher Wojciechowski has certainly added his ups and his downs with the Baltimore Orioles. 2-4 record, 4-1-5 ERA. He wound up going a few weeks ago, seven innings of one-hit baseball against the Boston Red Sox. And then his last start against the Toronto Blue Jays, he did not make it out of the fifth inning. He gave up four runs, all of which were earned in the process. And this is a man that has been taken deep seven times in 35 innings. So that means that he's giving up just under two home runs per nine innings. So not necessarily a redeeming quality there, but I will say this with the New York Yankees. We have no earthly idea who they're going to be going with with the pitcher. So that is something where the jury is still out. And for the New York Yankees, this is a badly banged up bunch that they're having to rely on a bunch of random guys to be able to give this team some production. You still have Glaber Torres out there. He's got over 20 home runs. He's getting to 285. Aaron Judge, obviously, he's able to do his job. He's getting right around to 282 or 285. But now you've got Mike Ford at the first base spot because Edwin Encarnacion is out of the fold. The team gets back Brett Gardner. He's only hitting at 250 for the year, though. He's been struggling a little bit. Mark Talkman has actually been a nice find. He's hitting at 280, but they had to go with... Bravik Valera, hopefully I'm saying that correctly. He was just recalled from AAA. He wound up starting at second base for the team yesterday. DJ LeMay was back in the fold. He's sitting at 333. That's nice. DJ DD Gregorius is sitting at 270 himself. But you've right now just got a mismatch of different players for the New York Yankees. Meanwhile, the Baltimore Orioles, they're not great, but at least they're healthy. You've got Trey Boom Mancini and Renato Nunez doing a great job of being able to slug out home runs. For Nunez, 245 batting average, 25 home runs. For Mr. Boom Boom Mancini, he has won team 26 times. His batting average around a 280. You got Anthony Santander and Hanser Alberto, both hitting above a 300 themselves. You have some guys that they really do need to pick it up with their bad So Stevie Wilkerson, Chris Davis, Chance Sisko, Jace Peterson, and Richie Martin are all guys hitting a 227 or lower, but then you've got Jonathan VR. He's hitting in the neighborhood of a 260 to 265. He's been doing a solid job for this bunch. And with the Baltimore Orioles, the bullpen has been a little bit hit or miss, but it seems to be a little bit more solid. And we know this with the Yankees. You've got all those great bullpen pieces like Tommy Canely, Adam Adovino, Zach Britton, Aroldis Chapman and company. So even if they wind up going with a guy that can only deliver a couple innings, they are going to be in good shape there. But this is a spot where if you're getting something hair brain like you were yesterday with your Orioles where it was like plus 230 plus 240 with some guy that you don't know for the Yankees probably would be looking at the Baltimore Orioles and if you're seeing a big total like 11 or something probably going to be looking at that under early leans on this game obviously not knowing a pitcher for the Yankees puts this out in a little bit of a 
puts this on a little bit of limbo. So check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRSquare. You want for set plays there. 967-968 on the big rotation. The Boston Red Sox play the Kansas City Royals. Jacob Junis goes for the Royals. Andrew Kashner for the Boston Red Sox. Total on this game is 10 and a half. The over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. The under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. If you're looking at the Boston Red Sox, laying anywhere between minus 190 and $2. Meanwhile, your plus price on the Kansas City Royals, anywhere between plus 175 and plus 180. And Jacob Junis has been very hot and cold so far this year for this Kansas City Royals team. It really shows in his number, 6-10 record, 5.03 ERA. He has given up 24 home runs in 134 and a third innings. That is right around, I would say, 1.8 or so home runs per nine innings. But he has cashed a couple nice plus tickets for you. He's actually had a little bit, bit of success when he went up against teams like the Minnesota Twins. I believe that he was able to get a win in the month of July against the Cleveland Indians as well. And you take a look at his last two starts. Well, they didn't go as planned. It combined 13 innings against the Indians and the Blue Jays at home. He gave up 10 runs, all of which were earned. And he actually seems to be doing a little bit of a better job on the road, believe it or not. In his last four road starts, he's given up right around a combined eight earned runs. And this is against the Minnesota Twins, the Cleveland Indians twice, and the Washington Nationals. So he's actually a good road pitcher. Meanwhile, Andrew Kasher, ever since he got to the Boston Red Sox, he just hasn't necessarily been the same guy that he was with the Baltimore Orioles. In four starts with the Boston Red Sox, he's given up at least three runs in every one of those starts. He's given up a four spot, a five spot, and a six spot along with a three spot. So this is a guy that he's going three, four, five, six. Perhaps he gives up seven in this spot. I jo- say that jokingly, but this is a guy that's just not really finding it. And we're noticing with the Boston Red Sox, guys like Marcus Walden and company, they're not doing the job out there in the bullpen that they were at the beginning of the year. And for the Kansas City Royals, this is a team that has gone a little bit cold with their bats, but they do still have a couple guys that are doing a good job of setting the table. Alex Gordon and Hunter Dozier hitting between a 275 and a 280. Whit Merrifield hitting nearly a 300. Jorge Soler has done a great job with his power, hitting a 250 to go along with 29 home runs. You also have to like the fact that Chesler Cuthbert is hitting a 290, and you're noticing a couple guys that are improving with their batting average. Bubba Starlin's been in a little bit of a funk. He's hitting a 250, but Mabris Viloria, hopefully I said that last name correctly on their catcher, he's hitting a 260, but then you still have the untrustworthy guys. Ryan O'Hearn, Cam Gallagher, Nicky Lopez, Billy Hamilton, Lucas Duda and Chris Owings are all guys hitting a 230 or lower, so obviously you leave something to be desired there with the Boston Red Sox. You've got everyone hitting for this team. Scott Travis and Michael Chavis, both hitting between a 255 and a 260. Michael Chavis has been striking out a lot, but he has been doing a great job with his power as well. You do have Jackie Bradley Jr. and Sandy Leon, both hitting below a 230, but then Christian Vasquez and Andrew Benatendi, along with Mookie Vets, all in between a 280 and a 285. Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers, both have been absolutely terrific with the bat. With Bogarts, 25 home runs, he's hitting above a 300. Rafael Devers, more around a 320, 22 home runs for him. J.D. Martinez is sitting right around a 300. He's belted out 24 home runs, though we did notice that he got the day off yesterday. You do want to note that he is day-to-day for this game, so obviously a little bit of an issue there. And with the Kansas City Royals, you actually do have a bullpen with guys like Ian Kennedy and company that have been doing a decent job. Even Jorge Lopez in long relief has been giving some decent starts, and I do think that Andrew Kashner is going to wind up getting roughed up in this spot. I think that Jacob Junis gives up a couple runs as well, but I think that the Kansas City Royals are able to win a high 
high-scoring shootout. So for that reason, going to be going with the Royals. I'm going to be going with this total over. I'm right now noticing a little bit of steam coming in on the under. So I'm in wait and see mode there. I'm racing a minus 115 in regards to an under. So that's already good for me. And I just don't think that there's going to be a whole lot of public money coming out on the Kansas City Royals. No offense here. So in wait and see mode there. We move on to 969-970 on the banking rotation. The Tampa Bay Rays are going to be playing OC Toronto Blue Jays. Trent Thornton is going to be on the bump for the Toronto Blue Jays. Meanwhile, on the Vegas betting board, it currently reads to be announced for the Tampa Bay Rays, which means that this game is presently off the board. We have no earthly idea at this point who's going to be going for the Tampa Bay Rays, but we do know this, that Trent Thornton actually looked very good in his last start, but in the month of July in general, this guy was a little bit of a hot mess. In his last start against the Baltimore Orioles, going six innings, giving up just one run, but in his previous four starts, he wound up giving up four runs or more in three of them. The other start that he had was against the Baltimore Orioles, and he gave up zero runs in six innings. So if you take out starts that he had against the Baltimore Orioles, in each of his last five, he's given up at least four earned runs. So needless to say, that's a little bit of an issue. And meanwhile, with the Tampa Bay Rays, it doesn't matter who they trot out there. They've got a very good bullpen. They've been doing a great job with their wholesale approach all year long. And Austin Meadows has been doing a very good job of being able to supply at the top of the lineup for this bunch. Austin Meadows hitting right in the neighborhood of a 285, and he's become their top leader in regards to home runs. He's belted out 18 for the year. You do have a lot of guys that just have right in that neighborhood of like 14 or so home runs and a 275 batting average. Obviously, El Garcia and Tommy Pham come to mind. Tommy Pham has 16 home runs himself. Obviously, El Garcia, 14. And then Willie Adamas has 15 home runs. He's only getting a 240, though. But you now have Eric Sogard and Mark Brasseo, a pair of guys that are hitting 300. They've been coming up clutch for this team. Jesus Aguiar comes over from the Milwaukee Brewers, and he's looked a little bit better in his first couple games with the Tampa Bay Rays, perhaps a change of scenery is all he needed. Mike Zanino might need a change of scenery as he's only getting a buck seventy-five for this team. But whenever you need Travis Arno as well, he's been doing a solid job. Meanwhile, with the Toronto Blue Jays, Boba Shett, ever since getting called up to the majors, has been terrific. On base percentage, well above a four hundred. He got his third home run of the year yesterday, but you've got a couple guys that they really need to pick it up with their batting average. Derek Fisher, everyone at the catcher spot. Brandon Drury, Billy McKinney, Justin Smoke. Kayvon Biggio, all these guys are hitting at 225 or Lord Teoscar Hernandez, I believe, is in that realm as well. But now you've got Zagaro Jr. and Lords Goriel, both hitting between a 275 and a 285 with Lords Goriel. He has been able to belt out the home runs. He's got 18 on the year. And Freddie Galvis has been doing a great job as well. 270 batting average, 18 home runs for him. And though Randall Gritchick is only getting 240, he's got right around 15 home runs. And then with Justin Smoke, Rowdy Telez, and Teoscar Hernandez, though their batting averages aren't great, all these guys have between 15 and 18 home runs as well. So you do have a little bit of power there, but this is a spot where if the Tampa Bay Rays are trotting out there, one of their more trustworthy guys, probably going to be looking at an over and probably going to be looking at the Tampa Bay Rays as the Rays entered into Monday's contest, having played each of their last seven games to the over. And I do think that they're going to be able to get to Trent Thornton, though I will say the Toronto Blue Jays bullpen also has been pretty good so far this year as well. So I will give them that little bit of a tip of the cap. But as always, since there's no line on this game, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRSQuarty1 for set plays there. 971, 972 on the bank rotation. The Cleveland Indians are going to be playing also the Texas Rangers. Ariel Gerardo goes for the Rangers. Zach Plesak for the Cleveland Indians. Your total on this game is 10. The over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. The Indians are laying anywhere between minus 185 and minus 190. Meanwhile, your plus price with the Rangers is plus 170. Ariel Gerardo has been a hot mess for a Texas Rangers team that away from home has been a hot mess. Meanwhile, the Cleveland Indians, ever since they were 29 and 29 going into the month of June, have just been absolutely white hot. 
Ever since then, they are 37 and 16. That was going into Monday's action, by the way, as I don't have a final on that game as I'm recording this. But Ariel Gerardo actually got off to a nice start this year, but now he's giving up right around 1.5 home runs per nine innings. He wound up having a little bit of a better start in his last outing against the Seattle Mariners, giving up only three runs in four innings. And then against the Oakland A's, he gave up three runs in seven innings there. But you take a look at the starts before then in any game in which he was an actual starter and not just an opener. He wound up giving up four runs or more in five out of those last six starts. So needless to say, things not going swimmingly there with the Texas Rangers. You just never know what you're going to get out of that bullpen. And Zach Fleasek has been lending himself to a little bit of hard contact himself, right around 1.4 home runs per nine innings. He's been a little bit all over the place. As in the month of July, he had two starts in which he didn't make it to the fourth inning, but he wound up giving up only two runs in those starts. He just wound up walking a lot of guys. In his two starts against Kansas City Royals, he was very good, and he wound up giving up four runs in five innings in the last start against the Houston Astros, but that wound up being a win. He gave up seven runs to the Baltimore Orioles in June, and before then, he was very good in that month. So it's a little bit here or mess, but I will say this for the Cleveland Indians. They do back him up with the number one bullpen in regards to ERA out there in the big leagues. And now they've got a lineup that is really starting to mash. As you've got Carlos Santana, who's got 24 home runs. His batting average just below a 280. You also bring in Yasiel Puig and Femio Reyes. Both these guys hitting just above a 250 in the case of Puig. He's got 22 home runs. Famio Reyes, 27 home runs for him. Jason Kipnis has done a good job of upping his batting average with 255. And Jordan Luplo hitting right around a 270 himself whenever you need Taylor Nake when he's hitting a 290. Roberto Perez only hitting right around a 235 to a 240 along with Jake Powers. But with Perez, he's got 19 home runs himself. Oscar Mercado setting a 290. And Francisco Lindor at the top lineup has been doing a great job of being able to set the table. His batting average is a 307. He's went deep 20 times so far this year. So you do certainly have a good lineup with the Cleveland Indians. Meanwhile, with the Texas Rangers, you've got a bevy of guys that do need to pick it up with their batting average. Jeff Mathis, Tim Fedorowicz, Rudin Odor, Ronald Guzman, all guys are in a 215 or lower. But I will say this for Rudin Odor, 20 home runs, and he's leading the team with regards to RBI. You have a couple guys that do a better job of being able to get on with regards to their average. Shin Chuchu, Elvis Andrews, Willie Calhoun, all guys in between a 280 and a 287. You also have Logan Forsythe, who's hitting a 250. Noah Mazar's back in the fold. He's done a good job with over 50 RBI, 265 batting average. And Danny Santana has been absolutely magnificent. Since Chuchu has 18 home runs, Danny Santana 17, and Danny Santana's batting average hovering right around a 325. He doesn't really walk a lot, but with that said, he's just finding a way to be able to slug out the hits, so that's obviously been very encouraging, but I do think that Police Act is going to be able to give a pretty good start, and I do think in this one, it is going to be a case where we see Ariel Gerardo just get completely shelled. So for that reason, we are going to be looking at the Cleveland Indians on the run line, and I do think that it is going to be a very good start for Zach Plesak going up against the Texas Rangers team that entering into Monday was one of the bottom three teams in regards to hitting right-handed pitching in regards to batting average out there in the league and was 22-32 and 32 at home, so going to be taking this total under as well. Right now seeing an Indians run line price of minus 105. Would like to lay a little bit less juice there and with the under right now trying to see if that takes up a little bit more. We move on to 973-974 on the bank rotation. The Cincinnati Reds play also the LA Angels. Jose Suarez goes for the Angels. Meanwhile, Anthony Scalfani hits a bump for the Cincinnati Reds. If you're looking at the solo, you're going to be finding a lot of 10s, but you're seeing a 10.5 out there as well. With the 10.5, the under is juice of minus 120, the over is even. If you're looking at the 10s, the over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115, the under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. If you're looking at the LA Angels, 
you're going to be getting a plus price here. Anywhere between plus 130 and plus 140. Meanwhile, if you're looking to lay it with the Reds, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 140 and minus 155. And I'm noticing that this number is dipping down a little bit as we speak, but I do like what I'm seeing out of Anthony D. Scalfani. He has been giving up the deep ball a little bit too much, but you take a look at his counterpart in Mr. Jose Suarez. Well, things have not necessarily gone as planned for Mr. Suarez as the Angels have actually won a couple of his starts to my surprise, but he's 2-2, two two, 5.66 ERA. He has been giving up right around 2.2 to 2.3 home runs per nine innings. Not necessarily a redeeming quality there. And in his last start against the Detroit Tigers, he wound up giving up four runs in four and a third innings. That was against the Detroit Tigers. And this guy made five starts in the month of July. Deepest he went in a start is four and a third innings. And he gave up at least two runs in every one of them. In the month of June, he was actually giving a little bit of better length, but he gave up three runs or more in all but one of those starts as well. Meanwhile, with Anthony D. Scalfani, long ball has certainly been his kryptonite, as I alluded to. He's giving up right around 1.75 home runs per nine inning, six and six record, 407 ERA. But this is a guy that ever since May 24th has given up more than three earned runs in just one start. So this is a guy that he's not going to give you really a whole lot more than six innings, but he's done a good job of being able to keep the game out in front of him. His walks are maybe a little bit high. He's given up right around 2.7 walks per nine innings. But you take a look at Suarez himself. He's giving up nearly four walks per nine innings. And this is a Cincinnati Reds bullpen that has been in the bottom five in the big leagues with regards to ERA over the last 30 days. But the LA Angels, well, their bullpen has been a hot mess as well. And with the Cincinnati Reds, it does seem like the bats are starting to turn things around for the team. You've got Jesse Winker, Joey Votto, Eugenio Suarez, all guys in between a 258 and a 270. In the case of Suarez, he's got 29 home runs. He's been doing a great job of being able to ride for this team. You've also got Philip Irvin and Josh Van Meter doing a very good job whenever they get reps out there in the outfield. Both these guys hitting above a 300. I will say that Jose Iglesias and Nick Senzel have both been doing a solid job of getting on base hitting between a 288 and a 290. And whatever you have, Arstida Aquino, hopefully I said that correctly, he's been doing a good job as well. He's hitting above a 350 in a very, very small amount of at-bats. I will say Tucker Barnard needs to pick it up to 15 batting average and Jose Peraza hitting a 240 himself, but this is a Reds team that's starting to put things together. Meanwhile, for the Angels, you do have that man, Mike Trout, and he's been doing a whole lot for this team. Hitting just below a 300, he has 36 home runs, 87 RBI. He has been absolutely terrific. Brian Goodwin, Daniel Fletcher, and Joey Otani are all guys hitting between a 285 and a 295 themselves, though. Otani and Brian Goodwin were not in the lineup yesterday. You do have Justin Upton and Matt Theus, along with Jared Walsh, who all need to pick it up. These guys are hitting a 230 or lower with their batting average. Cole Calhoun hitting a 235 himself, and Albert Pujols more around a 240, but Albert Pujols, 17 home runs of his own. Cole Calhoun has one team 25 times. Kevin Smith at the catcher spot is hitting a 255, and whenever you got Max Sassy out there, he's just not providing a lot. Max Sassy hitting well below the Mendoza line this year, and Luis Rangifo has seen a little bit of a dip in his average. He's hitting a 245, though he was able to get a home run yesterday, but there's just not much to like with this LA Angels team, and I do think that the Cincinnati Reds, even though Anthony DiScalfani has had some issues giving up the long ball, I do think that he's going to be able to keep this game out in front of him much better than our friend Jose Suarez, and I do think that the Reds are going to be able to win this game convincingly. So, for that reason, I'm going to be
be looking at the Reds on the run line and the total over. I've already locked in this total over. I do see a little bit of steam coming in on it, and I just was able to jump on it right away when it was at 10. And with this run line, I was able to see it at plus 130. I noticed that it dipped a little bit, so I just hopped on it right away. So we are all locked in on this game with the over and the run line. 975-976 on the bank rotation. The Chicago Cubs play the Oakland A's. Brett Anderson goes for the A's. John Lester for the Chicago Cubs. No total on this game currently as it is a game at Wrigley Field, but if you're looking to lay it with the Cubs, going to be laying anywhere between minus 137 and minus 145. Meanwhile, the plus price with the A's is anywhere between plus 125 and plus 133. Brett Anderson has done a very good job of being able to keep games out in front of him, and I felt like I said that with Anthony D. Scalfani, and that's because I did, but it is really true with him as this is a guy that is not getting many strikeouts at all. He's getting little bit over five strikeouts per nine innings, but he's just done a solid job of being able to mitigate damage. Nine and seven record, 404 ERA. And I will say, over his last three starts, he's given up at least three earned runs in every one of them. So things might be dipping back to earth a little bit. But with regards to the home runs he's given up, Right around 1.2 per nine innings. Meanwhile, John Lester, he's lent himself to some hard contact. 1.5 home runs per nine innings, but we mentioned it with Christian Pina in the last segment. The fact that he's got a sub-3 ERA whenever he's at home on the road. That ERA balloons to over 4.5, so that is a big factor with John Lester. And John Lester recently has looked a whole lot better. This is a guy that in his last start was on the road against the St. Louis Cardinals. He gave up five runs in five innings, but start before that on the road against the Milwaukee Brewers did not give up a single run in seven innings. He has been dealing with the wind blowing out, wind blowing in, and he really has only given up four-plus earned runs in two starts ever since June 8th. So he's been doing a solid job in that regard. And then you take a look at the Chicago Cubs. They do back them up with a very good lineup. You've got a whole bunch of guys on this team that have a batting average right in that neighborhood of a 280 and a 290, and they have 19 to 26 home runs. Javi Baez, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, and Wilson Contreras all in that neighborhood. Wilson Contreras has 19 home runs, but he's been doing a solid job. We have seen Victor Carantini playing a lot at the catcher spot recently. He's got a 265 batting average on base percentage right around a 360, so he's been solid. Javi Baez doesn't really walk a lot, but he's hitting nearly a 290. His home run count currently at a 26, and then Kyle Schwarber has not really picked it up with the batting average, but he's still drawing his walks, and he's still got 25 home runs on the year, so that's been nice. This team also has a very good outfield with Jason Hayward and Nick Castellanos hitting right around a 275. You do have Tony Kemp now in the fold as well. He wasn't doing a lot with the Houston Astros, but perhaps he can be a little bit of a boost for this team because we've noticed that David Bodie's been hanging right around at 240. Addison Russell didn't really pan out with this team, and Albert Mora Jr. is a little bit more of an outfielder, hitting right around 240 as well. So perhaps he can give them a little bit of a jolt in the arm. And with the Chicago Cubs, they've had a little bit of an inconsistent bullpen, but it actually is right around 10th in the league in regards to ERA. You do have Craig Kimbrell, who seems to be finding himself once again after being a little bit rusty. And with the Oakland A's, their bullpen has been solid as well, but I do think that Brad Anderson is coming back to earth a little bit. And with this Oakland A's team, they're not very good at hitting right-handed pitching. Bottom five in the big leagues with regards to batting average there. And they just got a bunch of guys that are in between a 245 and a 257. That's essentially their whole lineup aside from Jerickson Profar and Marcus Simeon. Marcus Simeon hitting a 275, Jerickson Profar a 207. So you got a couple outliers there, but guys like Matt Olson, Matt Chapman, Mark Canna, Stephen Piscotty, they all have that batting average. I will say, though, Matt Olson and Matt Chapman have been doing a great job with their home runs. 24 home runs for Matt Chapman so far this year. Olson getting a home run every 13 or so at bats with 22 of them. 
You have seen Mark Canna be able to get some home runs as well. He's got 17 on the year. And the catcher spot in general just has been a bunch of guys are in between a 245 and a 255, so they've been solid there. But this is a spot where I do think that John Lester is once again going to be able to throw a gem at home. We've been noticing that the Cubs have been doing a good job of keeping their totals under at home. So probably going to be looking at an under unless if I'm seeing something strange. And going to be looking at the Chicago Cubs. I've already seen a little bit of steam coming in on the Oakland A's. I know that Sharps absolutely hate John Lester. So I'm in wait see mode there to try to see if I'm able to get a little bit of a better price. And with regards to a total... Well, there's not one on the board, so I can't bet it yet. 977-978 on the bank rotation. The Minnesota Twins are going to be playing off the Atlanta Braves. It is Mike Fulton-Navich making his first start since being sent to AAA for the Atlanta Braves. Meanwhile, Jose Barrios goes for the Minnesota Twins. Your total on this game is 10. Over and under, both at minus 110. If you're looking at the Twins, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 144 and minus 148. Meanwhile, the plus price with the Atlanta Braves, anywhere between plus 130 and plus 138. I just cannot. I I just can't stick my chips in the basket of my, Mr. Fultonavich. I will say this: in his rehab starts at the AAA level, and I guess you can't even call him rehab starts to get well starts at the AAA level. He's giving up 0.2 home runs per nine innings, but at the major league level, more around 2.3 to 2.4 home runs per nine innings. In his 11 starts, he wound up giving up 16 home runs. This is a guy that has been dishing out right around three walks per nine innings, and I pointed it out with Barrios. 2.10 ERA this year at home. He has been absolutely dynamic. He has been delivering a lot of length in his starts. In 18 out of his 22 starts, he's went six innings or more. Meanwhile, Fulton Avich, five of his 11 starts in which he did not make it to the sixth inning. And that is a problem because the Atlanta Braves, ever since the All-Star break, have a bottom five bullpen with regards to ERA. The Minnesota Twins bullpen has been scuffling itself, but I do think that the length of Barrios is going to be able to help. And with the Minnesota Twins, who's not hitting for this team? You now have Max Kepler and Nelson Cruz, both with 30 home runs going into Monday. Kepler hitting a 265. Nelson Cruz more around a 290. Roy Polanco is hitting a 300. Eddie Rosario doing a great job with a little bit of everything. 285 batting average, 23 home runs for him. Jason Castro, Ahir Adrianza, Byron Buxton, who's now on the injured list, Marwan Gonzalez. These guys are all hitting in the neighborhood of a 250 to a 265. Luis Reyes has a great on-base percentage of above 400, 353 batting average. So you've got a lot of matchers for a Minnesota Twins team that is on pace to have the most home runs in a year in MLB history. Meanwhile, the Atlanta Braves, ever since June, they've got the most runs per game of any team out there in the National League. And at the top of the lineup, you've got Ozzie Albies and Ronald Cunha Jr., both hitting between a 285 and a 290. Guy likes the fact that Freddie Freeman is hitting above a 300. His home run count currently at a 26. Ronald Acuna Jr. has been slugging about as well. 27 for him. Josh Donaldson has 26 of his own. 260 batting average there. Adam Duvall, ever since getting recalled from AAA, has been hitting nearly a 400. It's insane. Brian McCann hitting a 280 at the catcher spot. Yohan Camargo and Ender and Ciarte are now off the injured list. And then you also have Matt Joyce, who's been serving as a DH in the series. Probably going to see a little bit of Charlie Culberson. These guys are all able to provide professional iPads as well. But I do think that Barrios going to be able to shut down the Atlanta Braves. And I think that the Twins are going to be able to jump all over Fulton Avich. I think that this is a spot where Barrios is going to be able to pitch such a good game that it's going to keep this total under. But I'm in wait and see mode there, trying to see if I'm able to get very favorable juice on a 10 or if this goes to 10.5. But I've already 
Trey locked in the Twins run line. I was seeing that at plus 145. That was absolutely insane that William Hill hung that. I'm seeing that at a much lower number there. So I locked that in as quickly as possible. I ran, not walked with it. So all locked in on the run line and we can see more on the under. 979-980 on the back rotation. The Houston Astros are going to be playing also the Colorado Rockies. Herman Marquez goes for the Rockies. Zach Greinke for the Houston Astros. Total on this game is 8.5. The over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. If you're looking at the Astros, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 196 and minus 205. Good to see that they use nice round numbers there. Meanwhile, your plus price on the Colorado Rockies is anywhere between plus 178 and plus 185. And I have noticed that Herman Marquez doing a much better job of being able to provide starts for this team. And you got to think that Zach Greinke is going to be all fired up to give a great start with the Houston Astros. But as Christian mentioned, this is a guy that does have anxiety disorder. Perhaps the fact that he's making a big debut in which a lot of eyes are going to be on him might cause him to be a little bit herky-jerky, though I will say for the year, ever since I first started in which he gave up four home runs to the San Diego Padres, he has been very solid at not being able to give up the long ball, giving up right around .6 home runs per nine innings. And his last three starts in the month of July, he did wind up going a combined 18 innings, giving up five total runs to the Yankees, Marlins, and Brewers. So, did a very good job there. He has had a couple blow-up starts. He wound up getting destroyed by the St. Louis Cardinals, and then Towards the month of June, he got rocked by the Colorado Rockies and the Dodgers. Ironically enough, those were both home starts. So the Colorado Rockies have seen a lot of him, and they were able to get to him. Meanwhile, with Herman Marquez, the 469 ERA, certainly not great, but you just take a look at his last couple starts. He's actually been doing a very good job for this team. Over his last three starts in the month of July, he went a combined 20 innings, giving up four runs to the Dodgers, Reds, and Yankees. And with the Reds and Yankees starts, those were both on the road. So he certainly has been doing a little bit of a better job there. We know this with the Colorado Rockies. They've actually got one of the best ERAs out there in the big leagues whenever they're on the road. Worst ERA in the majors at home. And then when you take a look at their road games, they're actually one of the worst teams with regards to runs per game on the road. Meanwhile, at home, they do a great job of mashing. But you do have a trio of guys in Trevor Story, Nolan Arenado, and Charlie Blackman that all have 20-plus home runs. I believe that they all have 22-plus home runs as Story. 25 home runs, 283 batting average. Nolan Arenado doing a little bit of everything. 24 dingers, 83 RBI, 305 batting average. And then you got David Dahl hitting above a 300 as well. You've got quite a few guys like Tony Walters, Remiel to PN Company that all have a solid batting average as well. They've been hovering right around a 280 and Daniel Murphy hitting more in the realm of a 290. Ian Desmond has been able to do a nice job of being able to step up. He's been in and out of the lineup recently, but he's hitting a 270. Brian McMahon has sent his average to a 270 as well, so you certainly have a lot of nice pieces there. And with the Houston Astros, this is a team that they do quite a bit of a better job against lefties and righties, but you just know that they're always ready to mash. And Yuri Gurriel has been doing a terrific job of this of that for this team the past two months. 293 batting average, 20 home runs, 69 RBI. Alex Bregman has provided 27 home runs. His batting average hovering between a 265 and a 270. George Springer and Jose Altuve look to be like them old, like their old selves ever since coming off the injured list. With George Springer, 291 batting average for him. His home run count currently sitting at a 25. And then Jose Altuve is hitting a 300. Carlos Correa is hitting a 290. He has gotten back. Back to his old form. Now you do have a couple guys that do need to pick it up with the bat, like Robin Cicerino is hitting a 230. 
140. Jake Marizic is a 250. And when I say he's a guy that needs to pick it up with the bat, that's how you know things are going pretty darn good. As Jordan Alvarez hitting a 340, his home run count is right around one every 10 to 11 at bats. He has just been insane since getting recalled from AAA. And Josh Reddick hitting a 275 himself. But I do think that this is a sort of scenario where you could see a very good start from Armand Marquez. And I just wonder what we're going to see out of Zach Greinke in his first start just because there is one of those things where it might be a mental block for him. So for that reason, I'm going to be taking the big plus price here of the Colorado Rockies, and I'm going to be taking the total under. I think that a lot of steam is going to come in on the Astros, so I'm in wait-and-see mode there. And with regards to the total, I'm actually seeing it tick upwards, so I'm going to wait and see what I can all get there. And we wrap things up with the game that is currently off the board. 981-982 on the bank rotation. The San Diego Padres pay a visit to Seattle to face off against the Mariners. It is going to be Denelson Lamette going for the San Diego Padres. Meanwhile, good old to be announced for the Seattle Mariners. So for that reason, this game is presently off the board. For the Mariners, it looks like it's going to be Wade LeBlanc. Meanwhile, we just don't know who their opener is going to be. And Denelson Lamette has been on my fade list this year. He is a gentleman that has made five starts. He has been giving up right around, I would say, 1.7, 1.8 home runs per nine innings. He's given up four of them in 23 innings, just doing the math offhand. He's been doing a great job of getting strikeouts, 11 strikeouts per nine innings. And Wade LeBlanc, let's face it, he hasn't necessarily been as good as his 6-4 and four record would indicate, 5.17 ERA. But this is a gentleman that does seem to pitch a little bit better at home than he does on the road. You take a look at his last four home starts in the month of July. He wound up giving up a combined five runs across those. In his two road starts, he gave up six runs apiece. So... Needless to say, he's a little bit better when he is at Seattle, and we noticed that split last year as well. And with the San Diego Padres, their fielding independent is better than the ERA of their bullpen, but the bullpen has been very shaky to say the least so far this year. But you do have a couple guys out there in the lineup that are doing a good job of hitting. Eric Hosmer, 16 home runs, 283 average, 75 RBI. He had a grand slam against the LA Dodgers on Sunday. Hunter Renfro is hitting a 237 himself, which isn't necessarily great, but you know what? 30 home runs. That is certainly going to help out the cause. Manny Machado is over 25 home runs after a slow start to the year. He's got his batting average hovering right around a 280. You also do have Josh Naylor, and he needs to pick it up along with quite a few guys. Will Myers, Austin Hedges, Ian Kinsler as well, along with Luis Reyes, all these guys hitting a 235 or lower. But Fernando Tatis Jr. at the top lineup has been absolutely magnificent. 325 batting average, 19 home runs, a lot of stolen bases. Greg Garcia is hitting a 275 himself. And then you've even got Manuel Margot, who's hitting right around a 250 himself. And Francisco Mejia, just under a 250. So these guys have all been doing the job. But then you take a look at the other side for the Seattle Mariners. You do have a couple guys that are doing a good job of being able to get home runs. Domingo Santana with the highest strikeout rates out there in the big leagues, but 265 batting average, 21 home runs, 67 RBI. We have noticed that since the All-Star break, he has really slowed down with the home runs, but Daniel Vogelback, even though his batting average is a 229, his on-base percentage is more than a full 100 points higher. He also has 26 home runs for the year. For the Seattle Mariners, you've got one of the top base dealers out there in the big leagues as well, Malik Smith. Only a 230 batting average, but he's done a very good job with his wheels. Tim Beckham has seen his batting average up to a 240, but he's a guy with a little bit of power. J.P. Crawford is hitting a 250. And then you've got Omar Navarro and Thomas Murphy doing a great job at the catcher spot. They combined for the third most home runs of any catcher duo out there in the big leagues. That Omar Navarro has a 290 batting average himself. But then you do have a couple guys that need to pick it up with their batting average. Kyle Seeger, 
Dylan Moore, Mac Williamson, all these guys are hitting below a 220, but Austin Nola in very limited amount of at-bats, hitting a 320. He's been a very nice find out there in the infield as well. And with Denelson Lamed, I just think that this is a guy that's not going to be able to provide a lot of length. It means that you're going to see that untrustworthy San Diego Padres bullpen, and Wade LeBlanc is just a different pitcher at home than he is on the road. So early leans out in this game are going to be to the Seattle Mariners. If you're seeing a total of nine, going to be taking it over. More of a nine and a half to a 10. Probably going to be looking at an under, but as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRSQuarty1 for set plays there, which is also where you can ask a question if you have it for this fine podcast. If you like what you're hearing, you can subscribe to MLB Overtime Betting on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. A big thanks to our man Christian Pina of the Sports Gambling Podcast Network for joining me in the second segment, and let's make today a successful, profitable, and fun one. We'll talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for joining me.